Hello and welcome to Media Made, the show in which we year by year explore the movies, music, and TV that most invaded our lives. I'm your host, Rod, the one true king, and I am joined by... Your wings, Jess. That's that's the laziest uh, nickname I've ever heard in my well, life. Well, look here. I forgot that we did the nickname things until about approximately three minutes ago. And you're lucky I didn't just use the full-on fanfiction title we've been making fun of. <laughs> True that. But hey, welcome to Mini Made. Um, if you're new to the show, let me explain what we do. So we are doing a movie episode today. The movie is of 1994. What we do is we have gone through a list of every film released in the year 1994. And we've decided which one each of us have watched the most. Not necessarily our favorites, but in this case, it is my favorite movie of 1994. Um, I think just maybe. Yeah, I love this. My movie is definitely my favorite movie of 1994. Yeah, there you go. So these are our two favorite movies from 1994. Um, childhood childhood nostalgia runs deep. It runs super deep. And also, I totally forgot what our, our runners-up were. So That's fine. <laughs> you, we'll pull those up at the end. Hey, it's a new year. It's 1994. What was going on in 1994? I don't know. O.J. Simpson? He was <laughs> He was in trouble. Right? I think I that's know. the only, like, national news going on in 1994. <laughs> I'm not sure I don't read national news. Jeez. But where were you in 1994? Um, how was old I? Six? How, how was old I? Or four? Five. You're five. I was entering the first grade and being bullied. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what I needed at that time? What? Wait, was it five? That's kindergarten. Still being bullied. But... I was uh, being introduced to lovely songs and um, watching Thumbelina. <laughs> mm. yeah, it was like, I was two. I was in preschool, probably. I was a little baby. I was in the baby class. I don't remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's it. But um, so this year, it's our first and last one-on-one matchup between Disney Feature Animation and Don Bluth. Um, and, you know, the, it, it, we couldn't do like a, like a true, you know... S- Fair and square matchup, like your Land Before Times and whatever Disney was putting out in ninety right. eighty eight. Right, right, right. Or uh, he re- he released All Dogs Go to Heaven on the same day that Disney put out uh, The Little Mermaid. Yeah, you know, I feel like those were a little bit more fair. This 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 year's matchup, it's a mercy killing. Um, excuse me, <laughs> you're right. Your movie is worse than mine. Excuse me, you're excused. No, you may leave this table. So we're we're gonna talk about Jess's movie first, and I'm, it's gonna be difficult for me not to compare it to my movie of the same year because like there there's leagues difference in terms of quality. Leagues, two thousand leagues under the sea. I'm gonna put a league right in your face. Uh, but let's let's jump into it. So, Jess's movie of 1994. Released March 30th, 1994. Featuring the voice talents of Jody Benson, Gary Imhoff, John Hurt, Gilbert Gottfried, Carol Channing, Joe Lynch, and Chato. Directed by Gary Goldman and Don Bluth. We have Thumbelina. Thumbelina! She's a funny little squirt. Thumbelina! Tiny angel in a skirt. Thumbelina! First she's bending, then baking, pretending she's making things up. That is the first song in the freaking movie, and it's like this cacophonous, just terrible it's song. It's not the first song in the movie. It might as well be. But it's not. It's introduced. Oh, it's not. It's not. Technically. <laughs> but it's the first song about the main character. And it's just like, I'm like, really? This is what you're going with? Mm-hmm. Thumbelina. She's a tiny little skirt. That's not the lyric. Just so you know. She's, a, She's an angel in a skirt. Tiny little skirt. Yeah. 
Tell us what is what is this movie about, and why did you watch it so much? This movie is about a. It's the retelling of um a very a classic Dutch Hans. Uh, is it Hans? Uh, based on the story of the same name by Hans Christian Andersen. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Who also did the, Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid. Yes, and many other and Tom Thumb, different things. Anyway, so it is a retelling of uh, the tale of Thumbelina, which is a story of a little person. Nope. A small... She, she calls herself a little person. She's a little person. Like like a miniature tiny person. She's the size of a thumb. Yeah. Her mom didn't really reach too hard in, in the naming capacity of her, but she was born out of a flower. I have I have the clip of the story, like, you know, in classic animation fashion, like, you know, a little book opens up and it tells the, the basic legend of the story. Right. And uh, who's, the, who's the narrator before I play this clip? Oh, our favorite friend, Giacomo. It's a French bird named Giacomo, and he tells us what, what the story we're getting swallow. into. He's a swallow. Is he a swallow? Yes. What does his nationality have to do with any of this? Though I will say all Don Booth birds have been French thus far. It's true. <laughs> Henri, Giacomo. Once upon a time, there was a lonely woman who longed to have a child to call her own. One day, she paid a visit to a good witch who gave her a tiny barley corn. Plant it in a flower pot, she says, and see what happens. The woman did as she was told, and by and by, it began growing until at last. Oh, what a pretty flower. And that flower bloomed into a little tiny girl. Side note, I would let Giacomo read the yellow pages to me. He tells a great story with his soft voice. It's true. He has, I just, he, he has a very ASMR I, voice. I would like let who who's the voice actor for him? Like go could you just read some books and I will buy them on tape? It is Gino Conforti. Good job, Gino Conforti. I do agree. He's got a very nice voice, but the character that he becomes makes me hate him. <laughs> like I hate Giacomo. Like he sucks. I love Giacomo. Warm place in my shallow swallow heart. <laughs> it's like this well-meaning idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Who's like, he wants to help, but he's never any help. That's true. But can't that be said about most people? So yeah, this main character is uh, Thumbelina, who is this baby little person that's born from a flower. Fully grown. She's born she, sexy now. <laughs> born sexy yesterday, <laughs> which is a uh, film critique term, film criticism term. It's a, yeah. It's, she, she looks like, you know, a traditional Disney princess or, you know, mm-hmm. but she is the size of a thumb. Yes. It's like, it's like... Uh, Honey, we shrunk the kids or something. <laughs> <laughs> honey, we shrunk. Yeah, our kids came out shrunk, honey. <laughs> but anyway, the tale is about Thumbelina who um, gets taken from her home and is trying to find her way back. That is the story in a nutshell. But because That's at it. one point she's she in a sleeps nutshell. in a nutshell. Yeah, <laughs> legit. She is a little girl growing up in this farm with her mother, and uh, she seems to enjoy a happy life. And then um, she, she meets a dude. And then she, um... She gets kidnapped. She gets kidnapped. Not, not by the dude. By by other people. People. Loose term. <laughs> and, and at that point, she's taken from home, and she needs to get her way back. Yeah. And, and it's it's like, that's it. It's a very, like, it's a, it's a it's so retelling simple. of a very classic tale, right? This is very much what, when these... Does this what happened to Thumbelina in the in the, the original fairy tale? Yeah. She gets stolen from her home by, yes. t- by frogs? Mm-hmm. Toads. Toads? Yes. And uh, she needs to find her way back? There's, like, a little variance, but like it's basically that. Yeah. That's the story. Yeah. 
when you're adapting a fairy tale, everybody, like you gotta you gotta adapt it and like inject character and stuff like that. Because Hans Christian Andersen, like he didn't mean it to be like a, a good story to like. It's it's supposed to be a cautionary tale. Yeah, it's not about uh, identifying this character's uh, like flaws and overcoming uh, character flaws and stuff like that. There's no arc for Thumbelina yeah. in the fairy tale, and there's no arc of Thumbelina in the the movie. Yeah, and we could we can definitely we'll get talk into about that. yeah. We'll get into that. Um, but what, 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 why this movie? I honestly, I can't, I like, that's a good question because I just really enjoy this movie. I can't tell you why other than right now it's nostalgia, right? When was the first time as a child, my mom put it on probably in the same way. The reason we watched Barney for some reason, (laughs) um, is because my mom put it on. Did you, have, like, did you on. have the VHS? Yeah, we definitely have the VHS. Mm. But um, these things are so... I was like on a, a Zoom call earlier today and I was just singing the song to this. And my best friend on the line, she was like, is that Thumbelina? I was like, yeah. And she's like, I love that movie. It's such a good movie. She literally said, is this... This might be nostalgia talking, but I love that movie. And I was like, I'm going to directly quote you. F.A. 2021. Like She's wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> Your movie is the one that's crap. That's we'll not get to true. it. Hey, kids. I know you already read the title of this episode. You know I'm right. You're, you're not. <laughs> Tell Vote with your feet and your thumbs on Twitter. Yeah. Tell him he's wrong. But I think it's just a movie that me and my sisters would sit. And, and I think it's also because both my sisters sing really well. Uh, so the like song, movies like this like that had these duets in them. Uh, that we would just sing all the time. Thumbelina! Not that one. Uh, but actually, I sing that often. <laughs> I still do it because I don't sing very well. So it's very easy for me to hit that note. When we watched the movie the first time, like, because this is the first time I'd ever heard or, or wa- heard of or watched this movie was and your for the show. life was lesser because of it. But legit, that song at the beginning, Thumbelina! I was like, that's, that's going to open that episode. Yep. <laughs> Here we Immediately. are. Thumbelina! She's a bear, brother, bear. <laughs> but the movie's just, it's near and dear to my heart. I think that, like, I, and as much as kids, right, like, and husband, as much as I'm going to say that movie wins, I understand all the flaws of it, and even more so, more of the flaws. And there are parts, even when we were watching it, I was like, this thing, and you're like, why do you like this movie? Because nostalgia is a drug. <laughs> I get it. You can like it. But you can't like. I can't say it's good, and I can't say it's I better li- than your Things movie. that I like, I can argue that no, this is bad. But I like it because of whatever reason. Here's the thing: I will, I will state that it's bad, but not for you. I'm <laughs> not giving you. you How this. Dare you? I'm not giving you this. I definitely told my friends <laughs> at book club. I was like, I understand that it's not a better movie than his. She's movie, not gonna. She's not gonna give me an inch. But I will never say that in f- good faith to you. So my movie's better. You're not gonna give me a thumbelina. Nope, not a thumb, not a lena. <laughs> All right, well, let me talk about how this movie was made. Because uh, we're going to catch up with our old friend, Don Bluth. Hey, Donnie! Yeah, if you want to hear about Don Bluth's early career, I recommend you listen to our 1986 movies episode where we talked about uh, An American Tale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, so, as we talked about in that episode, animator Don Bluth was beating Disney at its own game after a string of successful feature films due in no small part to his partnership with one Steven Spielberg. Hey, Steve. Yep. Uh, the triple threat of An American Tale... The Land Before Time and All Dogs Go to Heaven buoyed Bluth's studio for the remainder of the 80s. Uh, but things took a turn once the 90s rolled around. Yeah. I mentioned that, like, Don Bluth, I think, 
he had a bad track track record with business. Yeah. He had a bad business acumen. He would run each new company into the ground. Yep, and, and then, then find shadier and shadier uh, uh, financiers. You know, <laughs> like, and uh, that's what happened with his move to the '90s. It was like Steven Spielberg and him they parted ways, mm. and th- I think having Steven around helped him get the resources he needed to make out like pretty good yeah. animated movies. Yeah. But after that, it's like. You don't got Steven, you don't have all the, the, the pull in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Bluth's 1992 feature, Rockadoodle, was a colossal failure. But I love Rockadoodle. I'm realizing how much of a Don Bluth girl I, I am. watched Rockadoodle as a kid. I don't remember it very much. I don't. I remember not liking it very much. Shut to Claire! Anyway, <laughs> don't look at me like that. Either, anyway, yes, it was it was a big bomb. It prompted Bluth's uh, financiers at the time, Goldcrest Films, to withdraw their support and prompted... The studio to file for bankruptcy. Ooh. Yep. I mean, it's a good movie, though, kids. Just as good as Thumbelina. <laughs> you had to guess which was better. Thumbelina. Okay. Bluth had three films in development at the time of the bankruptcy. One, A Troll in Central Park. I love that movie! Continue. Two, The Pebble and the Penguin. That movie's okay. <laughs> and three, Thumbelina. Yeah! Um, so, again, he's got no money at this point. No money's coming in. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, all of his, he, he's got a studio in Ireland. That's where all the animation's going on. Right. Right. And uh, so it's kind of difficult running a studio out of Ireland with no money coming in. And you've got three films in the works. Yeah. It's like, what do we do? And we don't got Steven anymore. <laughs> um, Where's Steven? But of course, this wasn't Blue's first rodeo with bankruptcy. Um, he was able to secure funding from filmmaker John Borman's production company, Merlin Films, and Hong Kong based company, Media Assets. Uh, ensuring the completion of his next three pictures. Nice. I'm realizing the more of these words you say, I feel like the uh, daycare that I went to was more of a Bluth home then. Because I feel like I saw a lot of those at daycare. When I was in daycare, we watched a little bit of both. You know, we also watched some Warner Brothers and some Peanuts and other such things. I've never watched Peanuts. I say that now, but if my mom listens to this, she'll be like, <laughs> incorrect mother. You didn't watch The, the Great Pumpkin? Charlie Brown? I did when you made me this past year. Oh. (laughs) So production on Thumbelina had officially began in 1991 at Blue Studio in Dublin, like I said, but work truly began in earnest in early 1992. At the time, A Troll in Central Park was further along in production, but Merlin and Media Assets decided that Thumbelina was more likely to be a commercial success and then pressed for its completion and release first. Okay. So... I'm, a lot of what I'm going to say about the uh, animation in this movie, I think, is due to the fact that this movie was rushed. Mm-hmm. Okay? Like, Disney Disney had the resources to rush a movie to completion in like a year and a half. Right. Don Bluth did, did not. Did not. <laughs> he did not. Um, so, I was like, that is not ideal. It's not ideal to release a movie in a year and a half. Agreed. <laughs> and also, I think, so here's another thing. I think with his new his new support team, you know, like the idea was what's different from the late eighties to the early nineties. Disney is a hit make, you know, hit maker. Now. Hit maker. <laughs> they've found their formula. They've uh, released like three strong hits. Right. Mermaid, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast. Correct. Right. And they're like, Bluth, you need to do that. And one, that's not his thing. Yeah. He wants traditional old school. Yeah. Animation from like the golden age. Right. You know, right. Thirties and forties and fifties. Um, and they're, so they're, I'm sure they were like, Disney's hitting it big with these princess movies. You have a princess movie in development, get it made. Yeah. 
and they're playing catch up. Yeah. That's what they're doing. They're trying to ride the fad of the Disney film, right? They see where Disney's doing it. We were like, we want some of that Disney money. Um, so it makes sense. And it seems like every creative decision in Thumbelina seems like they're trying to ride the wave that Disney. Yeah, I can see that. Like, okay, the main character. Let's just hire Jodie Benson, the actress who played Ariel, to play Thumbelina. Right. You know, uh, Gilbert Gottfried was in Aladdin. Let's just get him in there. <laughs> that's that's that, that's what this movie feels like to me. Mm, it's, cash grab. It's a cash grab. It's a movie made in a like you know in a. In a but it's a cash grab for the the producers, not necessarily for Don Bluth as the artist. Yeah, but I feel like the artist in him is like, I need more time to like hone yeah. my craft, but. He's beholden to, you know, his... The contracts that he signed. Exactly. Yeah. Bluth also experienced difficulties finding a distributor for Thumbelina uh, with prospective distributors MGM and Disney's Buena Vista Pictures. Disney could have distributed this film. Ooh. <gasps> uh, that, that, imagine that, swallowing your pride to go back to Disney after you left them like uh, a decade before. I mean, you gotta feed your family. Yeah. Anyway, those those two distributors declined due to, uh, due to the bankruptcy. Right. Um, Warner Brothers ultimately bought the distribution rights in March 93 and scheduled the release from March 94. So this is Year. a yeah, Warner Brothers distributed movie. Okay. I mean, I knew that. It went to, Fo- uh, I think Fox got it at some point and now Disney has now it. Now Disney has it. So this movie was on Disney Plus at one point. Uh, it's been taken down, but it'll probably be back one day. Maybe someday. Yeah. If not, Thumbelina is now, on YouTube. is now legally a Disney princess. She's... Legally, part of the kingdom. <laughs> she was adopted. Just like... She married in. <laughs> um, like Rockadoodle before it, Thumbelina underwent focus testing to improve its commercial appeal. This, I, I, Like I said, this movie was made to make money. Yeah. I feel like in a very soulless kind of way. Well. So they were like getting kids in there like, oh, yeah, let's, let's focus test this movie to heck. Right? Which is probably why the first song is just screeching because children would sing that part. Ugh. Uh, the film reportedly received higher scores with test screening audiences when Warner Brothers replaced their own logo with that of Disney Pictures. Wow. How sad is that? <laughs> that's sad. Oh. That's gotta, that's gotta suck. That's a blow. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> the kids are like, oh, this is that, that's the power of the brand right yeah. there. You know, you, brand, brand should not be ignored. I was like... Business school, if you need to teach students about the the power of the brand, there's your answer right there. Yeah. Kids see the Disney logo, they immediately think quality. Yeah. They Even overlook not. Not, uh, bad quality. Excuse me, there's no bad quality in this movie. <laughs> and sprouting from the Warner Brothers deal, Thumbelina was preceded in theaters by an Animaniac short called I'm Mad. I just thought that was interesting. That is interesting. Why didn't we watch that before we rewatched the movie? Because uh, it didn't seem related very much. <laughs> you know, like, you obviously didn't see this movie in the theater. No, I obviously did not. So if you went to the theater to see Thumbelina in 1994 and you saw the animated short, I'm Mad, let us know. If you remember it, you're definitely older than us. <laughs> and that is how Thumbelina was made. It was made in haste. Well. Not only that, Thumbelina and A Troll in Central Park both released in 94. Oh, Oh, wow. He play, like, they literally did double duty. Oof. Yep. I ho- I mean, I know you won't, didn't really have money, but I really hope you paid your animators well for that kind of mess. That's, yikes. That's rough. So, yeah. There are two Don Bluth movies released in 94. 
All right. Um, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Anyway, let's jump into Thumbelina. Okay. So, let's talk about the main character. Who's that? Thumbelina. Thumbelina. No. Oh, okay. Wait, 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 wait. Thumbelina. <laughs> <laughs> Describe Thumbelina for us, please. She's Other than short. she's tiny. <laughs> uh, small, Dutch, long. Are they Dutch? Blonde, brown hair. Clogs, blue dress. She plays around with her dress a lot. Yes, that's. I really enjoyed the animation of like the fiddling. Uh, she fiddles a lot with yeah. like her hair, with dress, with things in her hand, and it looks very like natural. That that cloth simulation. <laughs> I was gonna say. So uh, like, I guess we could just <clears throat> talk about the animation for a little bit. Like Don Bluth is always really good at animating people, right? Mm-hmm. Natural, smooth movements of people. Um, so. Thumbelina looks great. There are like scenes where she's like, like in that opening song with the, the chickens, mm-hmm. you know, and like all the farm animals, like, <laughs> I don't know, messing around with yeah. that stuff. Like she's like hopping around and like tripping and she seems very clumsy because she's so tiny. Yeah. Um, and all that stuff looked great. It does. Um, there's a lot of like great facial animations. Yeah. Um, her and her love interest. <laughs> Uh, do I have an Cornelius? Issue? I do have Cornelius. This is a long clip because it's introducing Cornelius, the love interest, and his uh, his bravado. I'm Cornelius. Cornelius. <laughs> well, that's a funny name. Oh, I I mean it's perfect. Uh, tell me about the fairy court. Is there a a, a prince? Yes. He must be terribly handsome. Oh, he is. It's him. Strong and brave. None like him. (laughs) I would love to meet the prince. Oh, I'll tell him. Oh, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And then they almost kiss. (laughs) And they've known each other two minutes. And they've only known their names 40 seconds. That is a 40 second clip. I was like, do you guys want to get a room or something? Like, They're in a room. Do you guys want us to leave? Because <laughs> they were like eating each other at this point. Like, they were so close to kissing. Like, it's very uncomfortable. But I, I was going to say, when they're speaking to each other, like, their their facial expressions are like very. Yeah, you can detailed. read what they're feeling. Yeah, so that's done very well. Yeah. Um, from an animation perspective. But I feel like the rest of the look of the film is just too old school mm. I, i'm down with traditional animation i like all those classic disney films from you know the 30s right. and 40s and 50s but i think if you're gonna go with that style it's got you gotta put everything behind it mm-hmm. it can't be d- made in a year and a half you know you can't cut corners with it because if you fa- if you sh- fall short you just look outdated yeah so a lot of the backgrounds and the uh I don't know, the, the scenery and stuff like that just looks too flat and boring. Like, there's no... De- it looks a little bit like wallpaper in a... Yeah. Vintage home. <laughs> it, it Like, it, it's very painterly. Mm-hmm. Like I'm down with some painterly animation, but it's very flat. It's not very detailed. Nothing's moving. Compared to my movie of 94, where you get this sweeping shot of nature, right? And you could, like, there's... They're simulating, you know, a camera focal lengths and, and lenses and stuff like that. This movie is just like flat. <laughs> On the flip side, you could say because of this classic, uh, this moment where you see what the classic artistry 
artistry is that that in itself is an achievement to be continuing to do the during this time where people are starting to move into CG and stuff. So no, no I'm I'm okay with it, but. I feel like there's a few things. If you're going to go that direction, you need to do two things. It has to be, like, outstandingly good. It has to, like, really show mm-hmm. the benefits of traditional hand-drawn animation right, right, right. from the the Golden Age period. This movie does not do that. And that's not his fault, right? Like, I feel it's like not. He, he definitely would have taken the time to do it and not put it out this year and would have, like, really made, But it was very much like a uh, the Thief and the Cobbler situation. It yeah. was taken from him. That's why I'm, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not saying this is all on Don Bluth. This is not his fault. I'm saying that the, the, the decisions made, all of the creative decisions, all of the business decisions. Made this movie suffer. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. The final it, product. Yeah. I was also going to say, like, I think it's good to flex those old school uh, traditions. Mm. When the industry is in a slump, like in the 80s, right? That's mm-hmm. why Secrets, uh, the, the Secret of Nim in American Tale, that's why those movies were so successful is because they were like bright lights in a really crappy uh, animation slump. Yeah, right? like, I get that. All of the animation of the 80s other than that were like, you know, shameless cash grabs, mm-hmm. com- like toy commercials, like oh, your right, Transformers right. Yeah. and your He-Man. Or Disney, like, just falling short. Like, Disney just having their own issues, right? So, Don Bluth was able to be like, hey, let's bring back some old school sensibilities to the animation field. And But they, you feel like the time paid had off, passed. It paid off for them. But at this point, Disney is in their renaissance. They yeah. are on top, and they are innovating in the... They're innovating the, the, the animation industry, right? Yeah. They're developing new, like, jaw-dropping techniques that no one's ever seen before. And I feel like... For kids at the time, it's like, I would rather admire an animation style I've never seen before as opposed to this one that's a that's very outdated and not showing the full strengths of that method. I And I think to that, I would say you can never really say, like, we can say now that Disney was in its renaissance, but then it was just, you're doing business and you're doing well right now. You're on your feet. But, but they were but, cutting but, edge. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, right? Like you can be on the cutting edge of something and that fall off after four or five or six, maybe even 10 years. And we know that this is a staple and th- different thing. I'm, I'm here what you're saying, but I, as I said, I'm going to fight you this episode. Um, but like, there's no way, like looking back now, right? Like this was 30 years ago, math. And, Don Booth could have been like, yeah, but they this this is a tradition, a time tested traditional kind of style that is going to do that. That also being said, like kids will watch anything. It's not necessarily <laughs> that's it's also not, true. It's not necessarily like ah, oh, as kids they want to see this new cutting. They don't care. Parents probably care a little bit. Be like, oh, this is interesting. Oh wow, like that looks real and da da da. And you're gonna buy those for your kids because you're gonna sit there and have to watch them over and over again. But um, I can definitely see what he was trying to do. Like, and I know you can see what he, you, he's trying to do. You're not saying that he, he wasn't. Yeah, I'm, You're I'm, just not saying, de- I'm not decrying the intention yeah. behind it. I'm just saying it wasn't, like, allowed to show the true potential of these classic yeah. animation techniques. And I and I do think that that's mainly yeah. because of the business. Like, he yeah. because he had so many, like... Stephen left and bankruptcy yeah, I, I, I and and things like that. But yeah, I can blame money and time. I'm, I'm yes. like, I feel like those are the two main factors in what happened. But I still think I, that this is an excellent movie. No, <laughs> I'm saying that's why 
it's like I, I still have to recognize that the animation in this movie is not as good as it could be, and it's certainly not as good as my movie of 1994. I mean, that's an opinion that's incorrect. <laughs> There's also, um, this movie also does employ CG animation, like 3D. That's true, it does. They, they, it's not done well. It's not done well at all. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> I'm like... I'll give you that one. I'll I remember, give you that. yeah, because like we saw like in Beauty and the Beast, like the ballroom scene, mm. and then Aladdin with like the Cave of Wonders and you know the chase scene there. Um, this movie has like there's like a 3D city that Giacomo flies through at some point. Yeah, the very beginning. Yeah, and I'm like, ooh. And there's some 3D books. And then there's the there's they 3D animate like a boat in a in a pond like that the toads live on, mm. and that's 3D and like. You know, it's, like, done all right. Like, Thumbelina is a 2D animated character, like, walking around on this rickety 3D animated boat. And I'm like, it doesn't look that bad, but I'm like, this is no Beauty and the Beast ballroom scene, yeah. I can tell you that. Like, if I had created that, I would, I, if I had created that uh, scene, I would be telling everyone, I'd be like, oh, I'm the best yeah. ever. But when it's stacked up against freaking the Pride Lands, it's, yes, uh, it's a little... Yeah. But that's okay. And you know what? And I give that because that is not what he set out to do. He wanted to do the classic stuff, so I will give him that that was not the I'm best. sure his, I'm sure like a younger animator at his studio in Ireland was like, hey, Don, can we try this? He's like, no. And they're like, come on, please, please. <laughs> and he's like, all right, we don't have much time. Just get it done. I need it on my resume. And then he applied to Disney or she. <laughs> I w- th- there were a few sequences in the movie that I thought were animated really well. Like nature. Like yeah. I said, the people in nature are animated very, very well. Yeah. Um, the, the, the shot of um, the flower that opens to reveal Thumbelina at the very beginning of the movie looks gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, that's, that's the strength of classic Golden Age animation. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it felt like Fantasia. Yeah. You know, like, this is beautiful, gorgeous shot of nature happening. <laughs> and then there are sequences where uh the the seasons change from mm-hmm. like summer to fall and to winter and fall like, to winter. Like frost starts creeping on yeah. things and And so like leaves would fall mm-hmm. and snow would fall and all that stuff looked really cool. Yeah. So I see the effort there and I appreciate that. So it's not all bad animation. I'm just saying that compared to what Disney was offering, this movie is just like no man. There's it's like beautiful. leagues difference. Yeah, and Disney, it's okay. You'll 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 be on our level someday. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I'm just like I think honestly, like I'm like if in the mid 2000s, right when Disney was like kind of they had another low point, and they were, you know, like they were releasing like Home on the Range and Chicken Little, right? Mm-hmm. Like just garbage. If someone had come out with a, if Don Bluth had said, now's the time to strike, and he released a traditional. 2D animated film done in that classic style and at that time it could have been a hit or it could have been like a cult hit at least yeah like with the proper resources and time people could have been like oh my gosh this is this is a a breath of fresh air (laughs) but not in 1994 when Disney is about to release the highest grossing animated film of all time yeah nah (laughs) anyway let's talk let's talk story I guess so (laughs) I guess (laughs) So Thumbelina is, I guess, set up to be like the traditional Disney princess. I think it's or just, just like a, the princess archetype, right? Yeah, it the traditional maiden. 
I no, I don't want to call it Bilge Roman because it's not <laughs> at all character wise. No, um, no. But it's I think it's it's a story, a traditional lost and found story. Like that's that's it. That's yeah. what I would call it. I wouldn't even call it a princess tale. Like yeah, she becomes a princess at the end because she marries a prince. But that like the roots of it is a child is lost trying to find their way home, which like is she, what stories it, like classic literature is. It isn't about becoming a princess. It's usually about like, stay out of the forest. You will die. <laughs> or um, don't talk to strangers. Don't, don't They'll eat ga- you. Don't go gallivanting with young boys. You don't know. Yeah. It's, it'll only lead to trouble. It'll only lead to trouble and an unwanted pregnancy. Yes. <laughs> Honor your virginity above all else. <laughs> but yeah, like Thumbelie, she's not even a heroine. No. Like, I'll get into a little bit, like, with her character, uh, but, like, Thumbelina doesn't do anything. Things happen to her. Yes, she She is a very passive character. Right. Like, she has very little agency throughout the entire movie. Mm. Um, Okay. Even when she's given an opportunity to, like, do something, like, oh, I'm in a bad situation. Let me try to get out of it. Nope, not really. She relies on other people and cries and, like, just kind of, like, either lives with it or just kind of, like, oh, there's nothing I could do. Oh. Oh. Very much uh, Sarah from... Yeah. It's so unfair. As, uh, to that end, I have, like, two clips that, like, I feel like the movie at the beginning was trying to set up, like, this is what Thumbelina wants. Like, there is an I Want song. We'll mm-hmm. talk about that in a second. But... It's like, this is what Thumbelina wants in life. So, like, as a viewer, I'm expected to think, okay, these are the two things that these she These are the will, goals. These are the goals, right? Do you remember what those things, two things are? One's Meet a little... people that are her size. Yes. And uh, get married. <laughs> yeah. I wish I were big. Oh, no, Thumbelina. No. Don't ever wish to be anything but what you are. Now, is that good advice? Be true to your heart. <laughs> but is it good advice? Don't ever wish to be exa- other than exactly what you are. I think dependent it's so- on me. <laughs> in some in some respects, yeah. If, it, if it's like a, a if it's a I don't know, like for Thumbelina, it's just a physical existence. It's like who she is is she's a tiny person, right? I mean, for her, it's just like I wish I was big. Well, right? honey, that's never gonna happen. So get over it. <laughs> like that's. Well, I feel like it's about, like, positivity, like, body yeah, positivity. It's yeah. like, no, no, be happy with who you are. You're beautiful. And, and yeah, I think, and, like, that's the thing. I was like, yeah, if you state it that way, but I thought, mm. Yeah, it, it's good advice that you're right, dependent on, like, what you're actually saying that, about. And so that sets up where I'm, like, as a viewer, I'm thinking, okay, so the movie is about her, like, learning to, like, value herself, right? And, like, now, you know, even if you, you, you are not happy with who you are, you gotta, you know... Recognize that you're 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 beautiful on the inside and outside, uh, and you have things to offer. Yeah, the world d- don't as who you are. Ne- never never want to be you know somebody who you're not, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I'm thinking, okay, is she gonna like try and break out and be somebody she isn't? Is she gonna be like a like an Aladdin, like trying to be somebody he's not? Yeah, a liar, <laughs> right? No, the movie doesn't go there. Like in, in it, most of the way, it's the other thing she wants, which is a man. I thought I did once. Really? Yes. And here, the fairy prince and princess are having a wedding. And they live happily ever after. Oh, usually, dear. Hmm. I, I suppose it, it, it works best if, uh, if, if two people are about the same size. Yes, of, of course. Yes. 
<laughs> She's talking about sexual intercourse. She is. <laughs> it's best when they're the same size. Yes. Yes, it is. Also, I've seen a fairy before. At least I thought it was fairy. And then it just turned out to be a wasp. Mm. <laughs> the way your whole expression changed, like, oh dear. It stung me. No, I ran. <laughs> I don't need a fairy wish. No fairy dust. Run. So yeah, like... Almost the entire movie, Thumbelina only cares about her man. Getting her a man. Right, at the be- you know, for the first 15 minutes, it's like, I want to meet a man, and I want to get married and live happily ever after, and then when she finds her man, Cornelius, who we introduced a second ago, it's it's all about, like, I need to get back to Cornelius. Yeah. And even in 1994, this was outdated as far as a character trope goes, you know, like yeah. a character archetype. Like, mm-hmm. it's just like this ineffective woman who just wants her man. Yeah. And I was like... I think it's also really interesting because the other stories of the, not of the time, right? Like I thought of Cinderella, which is not of the 90s. Yeah, it's the um, 1950. Yeah, but like even in that, like she wasn't necessarily about, I just want to get my man, but like she was in a, like her living situation was not Ideal. safe. Ideal. Um, and so even when she's like, yeah, basically her whole story is about like, oh, getting a man and getting out of the situation. But her situation is not ideal. Whereas like Thumbelina is like, yeah, I'm small, but my mom loves me and takes care of me. And all the animals don't eat me, even though I'm the <laughs> size of the thing that they eat. In fact, they <laughs> sing my name. In fact, they sing my name. And like, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that like Ariel the mermaid or uh, Belle from Beauty and the Beast are like feminist icons or anything like that. Not. But at this at the very least, they were trying to like give these female characters a little bit of strength, a little bit of independence. Yeah. You know, act active agency over the story and their situation. Yeah. It's like Thumbelina is like not that at all. No, and I not even a little bit. As much as I love this movie, I'm I'm, I'm not gonna fight you on that, right? Like because those are my main, you know, my main problems with it. It's just like, okay, like if we were to go through the story, right? Like it's like we said, she she's not even reactive. She's like, you know, like there's something to be said about a character that is like not an active participant in their, their story, but reactive. And they're like just reacting. But she's not even that. She's right. just like, I guess this is what we're doing <laughs> I now. Have a, I have a clip called Thumbelina Problems because this is at the end of Act 2 when, you know, the character is at her lowest point. Like she's far from home. Winter's setting in. Like she's going to die from the elements, right? It's Like she's talking to Giacomo. What is the matter, Thumbelina? I'm cold. I'm lost. And I'm hungry. And the beetle says I'm ugly. (laughs) She doesn't do anything about any of those things. She just sits there in the cold and waits to die. Yep. And I'm like, what is this? What in Thumbelina, do something. Yes. Find some food. Do something. Learn to cook. I'm just saying, know. even in that fan fiction that we didn't read, but I read the title, that was that was a proactive decision that she made just by the title. Yeah, and so she's just like down in the dumps, and I'm just like, toots, get it together. Don't say toots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, she's not, she's not a role model. No. <laughs> she's not. And I'm like, Giacomo also, is like, Giacomo, help this poor, helpless thing. He was pretty helpful that one time. That one time. He was. He was just like, okay, but he he didn't address the cold, the hungry, or or the the lost part. He only addressed <laughs> the beautiful part. Somebody called me ugly. Like, okay, well, every does the, char- does the prince think you're beautiful? Yeah, he does. 
Then it doesn't matter what the beetle thinks. I guess you're right. It's like Thumbelina, every character that's encountered you in the last hour and a half has thought you were beautiful. The one that didn't. Also, Giacomo, could you feed her? <laughs> right. Giacomo, there's like lots of things. Like when Giacomo first meets her, we're like, he like helps her, but also almost accidentally drowns her. And then at this point, and then he goes off and he's doing his own side story thing. And then when he meets her here, she's like, I'm hungry and I'm cold and I want to go home. And he's like, oh, let's hug for a bit. And then they're doing more things. And then towards the end of the movie, he's like, hey, I found the thing that we were looking for. Get on my back. I'll fly you there. <laughs> Ho, what? <laughs> Why didn't you before where I was dropped? Why? This is a freaking Gandalf situation. It's like, we could have flown all the whole time. You're a bird. Fly me home. I only weigh three ounces. Fly me home. You would carry sticks that are heavier than me if, to build a nest. If Thumbelina was smarter, she would have said like, hey, you're a bird. Fly me home. Yeah, but she's, she's an angel in a skirt. <laughs> uh, you know, I remember having a conversation with a friend of ours quite a few years ago. And I mentioned that I like Disney movies, right? And she said that she didn't like Disney movies and probably wouldn't let her children watch them because they establish poor role models for children, right? And she cited Disney princesses as people who, you know, are in bad situations and their situations are magically fixed because of a man, right? And it's like it teaches children that, like, no, no, no. One day your your things will get better for you as long as you find a man. Right? Yeah, as long as you're in a relationship. Yeah, and so I'm like, I was like, okay, I, I could understand to an extent that um, stance stance on on certain Disney princesses, right? But I'm like, in a lot of ways, they're at least in the '90s forward, they did try to make those female characters more empowering. Yeah, on their own, Thumbelina is the exact character this friend was worried about. Yeah. It's like, no one, no young girl should look to Thumbelina no. as, as an example of how to live your life. I would wear her dress, though. But yeah, I wouldn't take any of, uh, other advice from her. Should get Thumbelina, man. <laughs> All right, let's talk about her adventures, right? Oh, no, wait, let's, let me play her I Want song. Yeah. <laughs> we, hey, kids, we have, we have like a plan for this episode, but we, we have not, we are just talking at this point. Yeah, so we'll see if we get to the points that we want to or not. Are, we've, we've talked a bit about yeah, 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 yeah. We're getting yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. This is a free form episode, ladies and gentlemen. There's, hey. a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack. All right, so let's talk about her I want song. Soon. Soon is her I want song. And of course, what does Thumbelina want? She wants a, a man. Someone is going to find her and love her and make her feel whole because she doesn't have those things already. Yeah. Even though she has a mother who loves her, she's take, well fed and taken care of. That's not what I want. I need more. I need specifically. She needs companionship. Yes. So from, um, from a technical standpoint, Thumbelina's soundtrack was composed by American singer-songwriter Barry Manilow. The whole soundtrack. He wrote all the songs. Hey, Barry. <laughs> Um, he had signed on with Don Bluth to compose the songs with lyricist Jack Feldman and Bruce Sussman for three animated films. Those two other those those other two ones they never got married. Oh, so yeah, Manilow was reportedly enthusiastic about the opportunity to score Thumbelina as an animated film, where most of the entire runtime was soundtracked. 
Yeah, there's a lot of songs. It's like, hey, this song's half songs. I'm down. Yeah. And I was like, that's some forward thinking on the Bluth Company because um, even up to this point, Disney hadn't really like put all of their investment into one singer songwriter who was going to like basically form the entire soundtrack until until this year with my movie of ninety four. Yeah. But before this, it was like parallel thought. They both did it at the exact same time. Ah. You know? So I feel like that's that's not Don Bluth trying to catch up to Disney. That's you know him. Being, being on the cutting edge yeah. of this specific part. Right. Uh, Barry Manilow, I don't, I, I can't name a Barry Manilow song, but that's a name I recognize. I'm going to tell my mom that. <laughs> Does she like Barry Manilow? No. <laughs> I feel like, I might be wrong on this. I, I'm thinking of Wayne Newton, never mind. I was like, Barry Manilow might be like one of those Vegas guys, you know, he has like a oh, residency. A residency? In, yeah. I don't know. Are you a fan of uh, Barry Manilow? Let us know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, what what are your thoughts on the songs of this movie? Um, I love the songs. I uh, here's the thing. I think that when you look at the lyrics of these songs, there's especially depending on the songs, it's like okay, I guess. But I think they're composed so well, and they like fit so well with the 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 vocal artists that are singing them. Um. So, in general, most of the songs I will just sing along with or I'll sing randomly by myself. So they stick with me a lot. And so I, I, enjoy, I enjoy them. They, it, and I know, again, right, it's like that nostalgia thing. But I will, I will there's just... It's, like these, the song. it's not that they're catchy. It's just that they're like... Medal, ma, ma, Melodic? It's just that they're... Melodic. <laughs> How? Melodic. It's just that they're melodic. <laughs> Are you going to cut any of those out? No. <laughs> Dang it. I'm like, as... Other than one song that's, like, not really a very good song, and another song that's, like, the subject matter of the song is despicable yeah. to me. Like, most of the songs are, like, inoffensive to me. Yeah, they're very... They're, very... they're, they're not bad. I, I can't be like, oh, this is just an awful song. Like, no, yeah. not really. Honestly, like, some of the, the, like, romantic ones is, like, it's nice, and it's pretty, and it's beautiful, and it feels like a love song. What song is that called? Um, Let Me Be Your Wings. I wish I had wings. Maybe someday you will. Hold on tight. Whoa! <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> Let <laughs> me show you the world. Let me be your wings. Let me be your only love. Let me take you far beyond the stars. So th- this is this movie's uh, A Whole New World. Cornelius takes Thumbelina on a magical carpet ride, but instead of a carpet, what is it? A bumblebee. How dare you tell me to stop singing? How dare you? We've got to talk about this. I can talk and sing at the same time. <laughs> no. Yes, I can. And yeah, this song's not bad. This is this was the big hit. Mm-hmm. This is the one that plays over the credits with the Barry Manilow duet. You know, yeah. Like, Like, it's a really pretty duet. It's a really, like, if you just put it on, it's not, it's very unoffensive. But it's also just, it feels like an affectionate song. Yeah. There's one portion of the song that I'm like, "Mm, I don't like that. But otherwise, it's nice. It's like really, like, yeah, she's going to come in and sing the next verse right now. And it's just pleasant and pleasing.
And I think just Jodie has like a, a, oh, yeah. a beautiful, like wonderful if, voice. So if, it's just if you're gonna cast Jodie Benson, let her sing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's like they 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 found a winner there. Yeah, and there's just something about it that just makes me think of like. Well, it's also because the animation is stuck in my head, but like slow dancing, it just makes me think of like a very classic, like, and I love it. It reminds me of uh, Sleeping Beauties, you know, like uh, I know you. We've danced with you once upon a dream. Whatever that song is. Okay, got it. Yeah, yes. you know the song. Uh huh. It it's felt- just you went for a second. And it felt felt very a very different song. <laughs> Either way, it, it it sounded like your Sleeping Beauty or your Cinderellas, and they were like, you know. Dancing in this like otherworldly setting, yeah. and I will say the uh, the other song that sounds like this to me, uh, it's later on, but like uh, from Ana- uh, Anastasia, "Once Upon a December," like it has the same feel to me. It doesn't sound the same at all, but like it just has that very like again nostalgic but quiet feel. Yeah. It is great. And so, like, the songs, I think the songs have great feeling. And that's that's the thing that draws me to them. Even uh, the songs that are, are the antagonists. There's a couple of antagonists. There's not, like, yeah. a villain. Um, but, like, the On the Road song is funny. I mean, it's a little, like, something. Uh, I, when you read the lyrics, it's funny. Not when you're watching it and it's like, oh, this is a lot of people, like, saying it's funny because accents. It's not that. But lyrically, it's, like, amusing. It's an amusing song. Let me let me close out the Let Me Be Your Wings and open up the On the Road for you, for everybody. So Let Me Be Your Wings, they have the magical carpet ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they come back and Cornelius is like, I'm going to marry that girl. Yeah, I'll be back tomorrow to marry you. But on his whole trek when he was, like, out showing her the wilds of Dutchland. Um, I think it's France. It's probably France. Or Dutchland. He, Giacomo lives in Notre Dame. Okay, but uh, birds are, like, uh, they can fly anywhere. So, all of this to be said. And he's the only one with a French accent. Anyway, but so while he's out, whether out on this, like, wonderful dancing thing, they... Um, catch the eye of a traveling band of toads that are a family. And uh, one of the toads is like, mm, I like that person. And the there, one of them is like, we can make money off of her. So she follows them home when Cornelius drops off Thumbelina and then um, kidnaps the toad. The toads kidnap Thumbelina while she's asleep. Yes. It, it's almost as if like, if Aladdin and Jasmine, when they went on a whole new world um, in, they like, waved to a dude in Egypt who's like carving the Sphinx, mm-hmm. right? Imagine if that dude saw Jasmine and is like, I am fully in love with that woman. I'm going to travel to Agrabah and kidnap her in the night. That's exactly <laughs> that, what That's is. what's happened in, in Thumbelina. <laughs> so yes, she is, she's, Thumbelina wakes up the next morning and she's now on a barge with some toads. And one of the toads is voiced by Charo. Charo! Buenos dias. I hope you sleep very, very good. Huh? Oh, who are you? Nosotros? We are the very happy family singers de España. These are my sons, mozo, gringo, and grande. We are very rich and famous. Rich and famous? Oh. Si, si, mucho. I bring you here to become famous singer like me. Oh, uh, goodbye. <laughs> I just cut it right there because I thought that was funny. Oh, goodbye. <laughs> it's just like when you're out on the street and someone's like, hey. 
Do you want to talk- come? <laughs> Do you want to talk about uh, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Okay, bye. <laughs> oh, okay, bye. <laughs> so it's like Ch- Charo here is like Thumbelina. You're going to help us become rich and famous because you have a good voice. Yes, she's doing this because she wants money. Right, and her son Grande is like. Full, like, he he is, like, thirsty for Thumbelina. Oh, yeah, he likes him some Thumbelina. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> that was a dangerous pause. <laughs> and so Charo... That's not her name. What is, what is Mrs. Even, Toad. His character's name is Mrs. Yeah. Toad? It is Mrs. Toad. <laughs> so Mrs. Toad, to convince Thumbelina to join their traveling troop, sings to her. And then gets Thumbelina to sing along. Yeah. So let's get that started. What things? The scrubbings and the washings and the noses with the drippings and the sopas always boiling. The pains and windows falling with the diapers changing with the roof she's leaking and the enchilada spoiling. I don't know what the heck she's talking about. Did you know how to do these things? I can like, explain. Do we have to do these things? Or does the very top of it make you win? Uh. I thought so. Then, don't marry the beans. Oh dear. Oh dear. You, see, hey? you become a big star like me. We make big money. So basically, like, Thumbelina wakes up in a strange place because she's been kidnapped. And she's like, oh, I gotta go now. I'm gonna go go back home. Uh, a prince is waiting to marry me. And this woman is like, mm, do you really want to do that? Y- yes. Well, do you know how to clean things? Do you know? Do you you want? Do you know how to She's deal with nose? Her. Yeah. Do you know how to wipe dripping noses when you have kids, or it's gonna be cooking? You're gonna be cooking all the time. What about uh, cleaning all the time and changing diapers? And when your food is spoiling because you can't get to it, do you know how to um, do these things? And do you know how to do these things? Like the things that you have to do these things, or does the very thought of them make you wince? And she's like, um, so don't marry the prince. She's legit, just like. Don't do that. Instead, <laughs> come and dance and sing. Like we have the lyrics. That's like that's why I wanted you to actually yeah. see it because you're like, oh dear. And she's just the whole song is just like, let's make money. I'll make you a star. Let's make money. And she's like, I guess maybe yes. And we sing all over the place. Um, and you should sing too. And let's just and that's the whole song. We make big monies together. We do. They go to a lot of places. You make mama rich. You do make mama rich. Uh, and there's just like little fun asides in it. Um, and at one point, Mrs. Toad is like, sing. And Thumbelina said, can you go a little slower? Slower? We don't do ballads. Okay, maybe I'll take notes. Like, it's just a fun little song. Yeah. It's it's very, I don't know. It's like, it, we, as we talked about in one of our previous episodes, like there was a Latin craze going on in uh, in, in popular music. You know, Selena's and yeah. and all that stuff. So having Charles sing a very tr- like you know flamenco Latin song, ma- you know, makes sense for mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. So it's a fun song. It's yeah. it's just strange. It is. You're just strange. like it just comes out of nowhere. This is just like I'm justifying why we stole you and why you should be okay with right. It. And, and Thumbel- I'm saving you from. And Thumbelina this. seems like her mind is being changed throughout the song because she's dumb. And, yeah, because she's enjoying singing and dancing with people or beings her size. Also, these these people um, are very busy. It says we open Monday in Medina, then we do Babylon, then we hop to Barcelona for a week, then a month in Athens at the Parth- Pantheon, uh, where they love us because we do a show in Greek. 
<laughs> like that's a, that's a carny schedule right there. Yeah, I was just like, woof. They just like they're not stopping. Dance it, Thumbelina. Sing it, Thumbelina. Sorry. From like from a character perspective, every almost every single person that Thumbelina ex- it, it encounters on this journey is horrible to her and to everyone around them. Like they're just bad people. These toads, they're bad people. Yes. Uh, Mrs. Toad manipulates. Um, she's selfish and greedy. Yeah. Her son's a creep. Yeah. She like, like and she enables her creepy son. She does. She definitely does. So like even in that, watch the movie, guys. Don't listen to us. But um, even in that, right? Like what happens is like she's like, all right, we're gonna keep you here, and they like legit desert her on a a lily pad <laughs> and <laughs> drive off. When their boat to find the padre to marry her son to him because she was like, oh, yeah, if we keep it in family, then we don't have to pay wages. This is in the song. Mama, you give her to me. I marry her. Anyway, you can marry la niña. We can keep the money she earns in the family. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Toad. Thank you. They really like me. Am I a star? Yes, and you can call me Mama. Mama? You are going to marry my son, Grandes. I'm what? I love Thumbelina. <laughs> I, I will say I feel a little bit for Thumbelina because, right, like all the stuff to be said, she, she is very sheltered. She's very sheltered. Her mom's like, no, don't wish for be anything. Stay here on our farm. And she like goes out and she's singing and people are giving her attention and she's like, they're like, oh, you could do stuff. And she's like, Hey, thanks. This is a thing I never thought of. Like to be able to like do I like I sing Am in my I window. Be a star? Yeah, like it gets a little she is very naive. And very. Very dumb. She never grows out of that either. Nope. But <laughs> but like all that to be said, right? Like I can understand the like, oh, I can be good for something, and that's the first time you've realized it in your life. You know? So I don't know. And this and, the, and then she she escapes the toads. And then with the, the help, quote unquote, with the help of Giacomo, <laughs> and then she encounters the almost the exact same plot point with yeah. a new character named Mr. Beetle. Yes, who's Gilbert Godfrey? It's the exact same thing. Yep. Hiya, Toots. Beetle's my name, and Razzmatazz is my game. How do you do? How you feeling? Everything okay? I'm not your Toots. Where did you come from? Where? Up there. I'm a connoisseur of sweet nectars, a designer of rare threads, and a judge of beautiful women. And you are beautiful. So he's buttering her up so that he can trot her out on stage and make money from her. Yep. The exact same thing that Mrs. Toad does. Yep. And I'm like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? So I, maybe it's one of those things where it's like, fool me once. Shame on you. Fool, fool me, me twi- twice. Shame, shame on you. That's the story, kids. Like, don't fall for the same thing twice. But in, again, her defense here, she was like, um, I want to go home. And then literally gets picked up and kidnapped again. Because she sucks. Because she, you know. Because she has no agency. No, she has no agency. And she was never taught how to... You know, her mom did everything for her. These are things that I can like, like she wasn't, she didn't. Yeah. And by that point, you know, she escapes the beetle situation. Mm -hmm. Again, there's a whole nother dance number. Yeah. Where she sings in front of beetles. And then he calls her ugly and she goes and cries about it. (laughs) And then she curls up in a shoe to die in the snow. She does. Like, that's exactly what happened. She crawls up in a shoe to die. But somebody finds her and helps her out. And that is the worst character in the movie, Mrs. Fieldmouse. Where am I? 
in my kitchen. I'm Miss Fieldmouse, and we are snug and safe underground. I... I'm underground? Yes, dearie. Three feet under. I dug it myself with my own two hands. Why is Mrs. Fieldmouse the worst? Because she is a gaslighter, a manipulator, and a person who looks out for herself first and foremost and takes advantage of naive, stupid, innocent people and also has no tact. No tact. She's an... I, I, put, I called this next clip her negging, Thumbelina. You know my name. Oh, that was easy. I know much more like you were engaged to the fairy prince, um, Cornelius, I believe. Well, almost. Oh. That is so sad. What? That he was found stone cold frozen dead in the snow. No. But of course you knew that. No. No. Cornelius. No. So sad. Oh, is that true? <laughs> That's so sad. It's like you tore. Why would you do this? It's because she's also manipulating yeah. uh, Thumbelina into getting what she wants. Yeah, because the, the proper way to do that is like, of course, you're th- how are you holding up? What do you mean? Were you engaged to Cornelius? Yeah. yeah. What do you What do you mean? Oh, sweetie. No. Nope. Sit down. Here's some stew. Let's have a talk. She's, he's stone cold dead. Found dead in the water. <laughs> I, I don't know, like, does Mrs. Fieldmouse legitimately think that Cornelius is dead? Because he's not. He's just frozen in, in water at this yes, point. Yes, everybody knows that frozen water doesn't kill fairies. Um, but I, she, I think she legitimately okay. thinks he's dead. Okay, well, but at the very least, like, the Fieldmouse has no tact. Like None. No, at this point, she has no tact. Late in just a couple of scenes, we'll be like, oh, you're a manipulator, a user. Yes. And a terrible, terrible being. Right. Which, we'll get to her and, like, why that gets in it, but, like, she does, like, she she's, like, one of those people that, like, is helpful as long as it also helps her. Like, I I can believe, like, she helped Thumbelina uh, because she wanted someone to spend the winter with and not to be alone, right? Like, Mm. and then to also, like, oh, okay. You know, like, to have someone, she was like, okay, well, now that you're- her life was, like, a secondary thing. Yeah, like, oh, you're awake now, and since I helped you, help me out by, like, helping me deliver some food to blah, 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 like- an indentured, like, I saved your life. You're going to be down here all winter, so you might as well just do what I say. I bet you, like, if they're, you know, if we had seen more of them, like, maybe she's working Thumbelita too hard, and Thumbelita's like, oh, I just, I just need a break. I'm so tired. It's like, well, I did rescue you, honey. Yeah. You're not going to help me? And I'm like, Ugh. Yikes. But that doesn't happen, because uh, they go to a neighbor's house, um, and the neighbor is a mole. Mr. Mole. Good afternoon, Mr. Mole. Oh, Miss Fieldmouse. Oh, good afternoon. Lovely day. I want you to meet a new friend of mine, Thumbelina. She just came down from up there. Up there? Up there. Terrible place. I kept the, mmm, because mm. I don't know if he's sniffing the food they brought for him or he's like, mmm, Thumbelina. He was sniffing the food. Uh, or her, actually, I can't remember. But yeah, so he meet, they meet them, um, Thumbelina sings a little song for him, and just like every other male in this movie. She has to perform. Um, she, he is uh, attracted to her and immediately wants to wed her or use her for something. Miss Fieldmouse, 
You know, I have been meaning to take a wife for some time now. What a lovely idea. I find myself sometimes, um, you know, uh, lonely for companionship. What could be more natural? And I wonder if... Yes? If I could ask you to help me persuade Miss Thumbelina to, 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 to be, be my wife. Yes. And she does it. She does it for, for money. For money. Like, at first, like, you look at her when he was like, oh, you know, I've been trying to take a wife. And she's like, yes, I have been feeding you bread for a while, you rich man. She doesn't say that, but that's what her facial expression says, because Don Bluth is good at that. Um, And then when she's like, Thumbelina, she was like, Thumbelina, I'll pay you. Okay, I can make that happen. (laughs) Like, she's like, I'm getting my change one way or another. Yep. Yeah. No, also, just side note, the song he sing, that Thumbelina sings in this moment is like the saddest bit little song. It's a very tiny song. It's also my favorite song, but we forgot to get it. Can we get it and put it here? Then I'm going to sing a bit of it. It goes. <coughs> Not like that. It goes. Once there was a sun, warm and bright and wonderful. I'm not singing it properly because I don't want you looking at me like that. Shining like the love inside my heart. (laughs) Now there's no more sun. Winter has killed everything. And now it's dark December. I remember sun. And I quote that song so often, usually changing what 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 has killed everything. <laughs> if I'm upset about stuff, usually I put people's names in them. <laughs> Use a miss, field mouse. <laughs> field mouse has killed everything. <laughs> Love it. All right. At, at this point, so Miss <clears throat> Field Mouse is now conspiring to convince Thumbelina to marry the mole. Mm-hmm. And we get... The worst song in the movie, not necessarily for its musical uh, quality, but for its like lyrics. It is the villain song. It's the villain. It is like despicable yeah. what this mouse is singing about. So let's get that started. How could I possibly marry Mr. Mole? I don't love him. Love. Love is what we read about in books, my dear. <laughs> Here comes the bride is a lovely little ditty But marrying for love is a foolish thing to do Cause love won't pay the mortgage or put porridge in your bowl Dearie, marry the mole So she's just trying to convince Thumbelina that you need to marry for convenience Marrying for love is uh, nonsense, stop it Yep. Honey, settle. Settle for this mole. Settle for this mole and the money I will be getting for your bride price. She gets the she gets the, the dowry. Yeah. Uh, there's legitimately like some of these lines, right? Like I, I know that we're playing it under it, but I just want I just want to read what it is. Um uh, true, it's a fact. He's not exactly witty. He's blinder than a bat, but at least his eyes are blue. His breath may be alarming, but he's charming for a troll. Deary, marry them all. Romeo and Juliet, Juliet were very much in love when they were wed. They honored every vow. So where are they now? Dead? Dead. They're very, very dead. Poor Thumbelina, your brain's so itty-bitty. Yep. I hate it to seem a pest, but I know what's best for you. Just think of all the ways that you could uh, decorate a hole. Take my advice. I'll bring the rice, dearie. Marry the mole. Marry the mole. 
Marry the mole. This is the part. And that is why she's the villain. Yes. <laughs> and at that point, we get the climax of the film, which is her about to marry the mole, but Cornelius saves the day. And Because right? that's what a man does. Yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't think we should spoil, like necessarily spoil the end of the film too because much. Because you should definitely watch it, kids. I'm like, if you, if you want to. Kids, it's on YouTube for free currently. <laughs> is it? Yes, it's currently for free on YouTube. There you go. As of this recording. And you Di- can also rent it on YouTube. Disney owns the dang movie and they don't care enough to, to remove it from YouTube. So that just goes to show something about it. But yeah, I know um, Jess wants to lay down some... Uh... Yeah, you know, I think like... I, like, as much as we we're talking about how terrible the character of Thumbelina is and how she's very inactive in her passive and inactive in the life that is just like whirlwinded for her. I, I like see these flaws. I see the flaws. Like I can't not see them. I'm a writer. That being said, right? So I like looked into to see who fan fiction to see like what other people have done with it. Like it's kind of hard. Like this is not a feature. This is not a blockbuster. Um, and it's from the early nineties. Is this technically but early? You can take mid, f- but yeah, so there's not a lot of like good fan, like there, I, from what I found, there was probably a collective 50 fan fictions and none of them were more than like four chapters. But with the framework established in the original st- fairy tale, like you feel that there is a story that can be absolutely. expanded and told. There's absolutely, if you just change the character, you know, like the act, give Thumbelina actual character and strength. Like, this is such an interesting tale. Like, I really love it. I would love to, like, see a a good rewrite of this or even, like, take that on myself, right? Like, of um, figuring out, like, what this would look like, these plot points would look like with a, uh, a woman that has uh, an understanding that she should have agency over her life, right? Like, these multiple kidnappings, what does that look like? You know, like, how does she react when someone calls her ugly? Stab them in the eye, possibly? Like, you know, like, I think that it's, um, there's so much fodder here for, like, doing better. Because I do sincerely love this movie. I do. Like, I know that when you're, when you're, like, talking to me about it, you're like, why? Everything about it is bad. And I can... Not everything. Not everything. Most things about it are bad. Like, story-wise and, and uh, characters and even the side characters. It's a lot of stupidity. I get it. But, like... I love it so much, and I know that there is, like, stuff in there that can be improved. And I, I don't disagree with you. I think it's, I'm think i thinking, like, the best stories of, like, a, you know, a fish-out-of-water story where a main character is taken from their home and dropped into a setting or a new environment that they've never, you know, been before. And, yeah. like, having to adapt having and to survive. Adapt. Yeah. You know, everything from, to- like, Wizard of Oz to Alice in Wonderland to freaking Labyrinth, right? And it's yeah. Like, some of those did it better than others, but at the very least, those characters have agency. Yeah. You know, and they at least try. Yeah. And I think that that's what this needs. Like, And they grow over the course of their journey. <clears throat> that's Thumbelina's biggest failing is Thumbelina doesn't learn or change anything. Yeah. She doesn't grow. Yeah. Physically or she grows <laughs> she wings. She grows wings. She grows wings at the end and that's about it. It's like, that's not a character trait. <laughs> well, then she's she's more of an angel in a skirt. Ugh. <laughs> but 
Otherwise, that's Thumbelina. That is Thumbelina. Uh, I assume is a recommend from you. Absolutely. Kids, watch it. Kids, watch it. Watch it. It's so good. I, I, I can't recommend this. Like, I wouldn't recommend this to people with kids either. I'm like, you know, you have a little girl to, you know, I wouldn't put it on for a little girl. Would you put it on for a little boy? No. No one. Sorry. That's just my opinion. Would you put it on if your cat was home and they just wanted to watch something? <laughs> no. <laughs> You put on the dead one waste electricity for a cat. Excuse me, Ampersand wants to watch it. Let Ampersand watch the movie. <laughs> no. Fine. Let's talk about how this movie was received. Thumbelina was a box office bomb, grossing only $17 million against its $28 million budget. Yikes. Yeah, all that focus testing for nothing. I mean, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> yep. Um, its critical reception was e- equally poor. Um, I got a quote from... Film Freak Central. Uh, the film is for very young children and people in comas. <laughs> Excuse me, Film Freak. I am neither of those things. It's for me. Grandpa Ebert uh, put it a little bit more eloquently. I didn't care much, or I didn't much care for two reasons. Thumbelina's woe is me act gets old real fast, and I couldn't care less about her matrimonial prospects. He concluded his review by saying, Quote, it is difficult to imagine anyone over the age of 12 finding much to enjoy in Thumbelina. I named several things I enjoy, Grandpa Ebert. <laughs> and the Apollo Guide said, A little more Thumbelina spunkiness would have gone a long way toward making this a more compelling story for kids, and especially for grown-ups. Fair. I can't, I can't denounce that. <laughs> we, need, we need more spunk. We do need Spunkalina. more spunk. Spunk. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> And the song Marry the Mole won Worst Original Song at the Golden Raspberry Awards, making Thumbelina the first animated film ever to win a Razzie. Well, they won something. Good job, Barry. So um, as far as legacy goes, there's not a lot. Like I was I, I, I had to like go out of my way to search. <laughs> like I was like, did Thumbelina like. Were any products made based on Thumbelina? Did it have McDonald's toys or anything? No, not from what I could find. Halloween costumes? The only thing I could find was a line of dolls representing the main cast. Like little tiny dolls. Not even like Barbie-sized dolls. Can I get some? Are they like on eBay? They are on eBay. I don't... I assume... My birthday's coming up. (laughs) Do you you want a Mrs. Mrs. Toad doll? I want a Mrs. Toad. I want a mole. I want uh, a bumblebee. Yeah, I don't know if any of those characters made it. Darn it. It's probably Thumbelina, Cornelius, and Giacomo. I want Giacomo. Giacomo. <laughs> well, let's talk about where Don Bluth went from here. Because, ladies and gentlemen, this is our last Don Bluth film. I'm sorry, Bluthy. It was almost his last two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As mentioned earlier, Don Bluth released A Troll in Central Park late 1994, his second film that year. The movie received even worse reviews and performed even worse financially than Thumbelina did. I'm sorry, Don Bluth. But you can't keep a Bluth man down. No, not for long. That year, Bill Mechanic, then chairman of 20th Century Fox, hired Bluth and his longtime partner Gary Goldman to co-found Fox Animation Studios. Oh. They threw him a line. Nice. He's like, that's a lifesaver right there. Yeah. Um, while Fox Animation was getting off the ground, Bluth released one last film with his Ireland-based studio, 1995's The Pebble and the Penguin, which was also a critical and commercial failure. Yeah. Don Bluth Entertainment shut down shortly thereafter. Mm. It was so bad that Don Bluth asked that his name be removed from the credits. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. 
I think that one also came down to money and time. Yeah. Bluth directed Fox Animation's first feature film, 1997's Anastasia. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. The fingerprints are there. Which was his first critical and commercial hit in years. In fact, Anastasia turned out to be the highest grossing film of his career. Oh. And was it also his last? No. Well. Unfortunately, Bluth's fortunes reversed once again <laughs> with the release of his follow-up, 2000's Titan AE. Okay, but that movie was not... Like, that movie did not get the, like... The acclaim it should. It was not a bad movie. I, I've heard that. Yeah, it was like it was very well done. I think it's just it was just it just got missed. Yeah, it was the bad time. But that and Treasure Planet. Sorry, Bluth to mention Disney here are movies that I feel like deserve like the the cult, the, the cult following that like some things get. Like yeah. it definitely is the both of those movies. The animation so good. was cool. It I've is. Seen, I've seen clips of it. You've never seen Titan A. Mm-mm. Let's fix that. <laughs> Once we get a new TV, because our TV is currently broken, guys. Another, another bomb, Titan AE lost Fox a lot of money. Because a lot of money was pumped into it, and it lost a lot of it. Yeah, it was, it was completely CG. Um, pro- it prompted the studio to shut down Fox Animation Studios altogether 10 days after the film's release. Whoa. That was when Fox said, okay, we'll just invest in Blue Sky Entertainment from now on. Which was the Ice Age people. Whoa! Yeah, so that's crazy. Titan AE killed another fo- like uh, killed another animation studio. For the next fifteen years, Bluth stayed under the radar, working on small video game projects, music videos, and animated shorts. Like what? Music uh, videos? Yeah, I, I don't have any. I don't have a list of them, but I know that he worked on the video game <laughs> I Ninja, Fruit Ninja. He he worked on a like a, I think it was either a reboot or a remaster of his Dragon's Lair video game from the eighties. Okay. It was an arcade game, and he. Like, you know, updated it for modern platforms, PC or something. It's cool. In 2015, Bluth and Goldman reemerged on the animation scene by announcing their intentions of producing a feature-length Dragon's Lair movie. Oh. Um, Kickstarter and Indiegogo campaigns were created to fund the projects, with the latter reaching its goal. Nice! Um, (laughs) Though though no news of an animated Dragon's Lair movie has emerged since, a live-action adaptation was announced in 2020, with Bluth serving as a producer. Okay. Um, The film was postponed due to (laughs) COVID-19. What's that? (laughs) It's a good question. (laughs) Um, Also in 2020, Don Bluth launched a new animation studio called Don Bluth Studios, with the goal of bringing on a renaissance of hand-drawn animation. I was like... The time is now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the time is now. If he if he can get the funding for it, I, I think it's especially with like oversaturation of like knockoff movies and like just CG. Every, yeah. Everyone's investing in CG. I think now's the time to say, hey, no, let's bring back the strengths of traditional hand drawn animation. So yeah, I fully support this endeavor. Uh, the studio's productions will be live streamed first and then uploaded to YouTube. I. Take part in that. That feels like a nice watch party night. Yeah. Um, their first project will be called Bluth's Fables, an anthology of short stories written, narrated, and animated by Don Bluth himself. Oh, but can we get Giacomo to do it instead? <laughs> I don't know. Let's just, let's just, hey, let's, uh, let's at Don Bluth when this goes up and ask him, is, is Giacomo, is the voice actor of Giacomo still alive? <laughs> as far as I can tell, Gino uh, Conforti is still alive. So maybe Giacomo can make a return one day. Yeah. But that is Thumbelina. Uh, that's, I think that's all we have to say on the matter. Oh, I did want to say Thumbelina. Thumbelina. Anyway, we're going to close out with the uh, song Let Me Be Your Wings as sung by Barry Manilow and Deborah Bird from the credits of Thumbelina. It was the uh, the ballad. They hoped we'd get radio play somewhere. 
I don't think it's it ever gonna happened. get ready to play right there here. There was there was a soundtrack release. They really did. They printed CDs and released the soundtrack on CD. Um, it was a limited run. I bet. Yeah. I mean. Mm. Anyway, with that, we are gonna see you on the other side with my film of 1994. The less nice film. Entertainment presents Share the Magic. Sing the songs. And experience the masterpiece that truly is a small wonder. In a world brought to life by the music of Barry Manilow and the imagination of Don Blue, Hans Christian Andersen's Thumbelina, rated G. Plus, Steven Spielberg's new Animaniac short, I'm Mad, rated G. Both start Wednesday, March 30th. Welcome back. I'm sure you've sang that once in your life. Nope. Never? Not Never. even once? Not even a little bit. That is the song Circle of Life by my film of 1994. Released June 15th, 1994, featuring the voice talents of Matthew Broderick, Jeremy Irons, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, Moira Kelly, Nathan Lane, Early Sabella, Rowan Atkinson, Whoopi Goldberg, Cheech Marin, and James Earl Jones. Directed by Rob Minkoff and Roger Allers. That is... The Lion King. Wow. <laughs> All right. Lion King. Everyone's seen Lion King. You've seen it? Not even one time. <laughs> Don't lie to me. Not even when we were preparing for this. Oh, uh, yeah. The Lion King, like, I was two when this movie came out. And, like, by the time, like, I was old enough to, like, oh, I like things. Lion King was everywhere. Everything was Lion King. Right. Lion King was a like, preschool Everyone had Lion King toys. Right, right, right. Lion King was all over the Disney parks, all over television. I was watching Timon and Pumbaa on the TV. <laughs> I had a, I had a, a, a little Simba reversible plush doll, right, where you could reverse its head, and it would be either like the young Kim, uh, Kimba, no, Simba cub, or you could turn it inside out, and it would become older Simba with the mane. Hey. Yeah. 
It was a good time to be a Lion King fan <laughs> in the in the, in the, the mid nineties. Lion King merch everywhere. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure I watched this movie a million times. Yeah, like we have some runners up later on, and it's like there, there's the runners up will never surpass Lion King because <laughs> I assume I watched it a hundred times as a kid, a <laughs> hundred times in a single day, every day, every day for six years. Um, yeah, do you do you have any fun memories of the Lion King? Not really. I definitely obviously watched it and um, enjoyed it. You a never lot. you never held a plush doll in the air as if it was. A, a young Simba. Why would I do that? When I, why would I do that when I had a younger sister, five years younger than me? I definitely held her uh, oh. while on my bunk bed. There you go. <laughs> just like it was Pride Rock. Yes. Just don't ever ask her because she doesn't remember that I dropped her. And I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't think, like, if you were to ask me objectively, I don't think this is the best Disney animated feature ever made. No, that'd be Tarzan. No. <laughs> Tarzan's not bad, but it's not... The, like, I would say Beauty and the Beast, I think, is the best. I can see the argument for Aladdin. But this, one, this one's my favorite. <laughs> like, this one's my favorite. Um, of all of Disney's movies ever made, like, this one's my favorite. You know? This like, is I, the one. This is legit the, the, the contemporary for you as well, so... What do you mean? I mean, you're two, but you were still... Like, this is yeah. your childhood one. This is my childhood one, yes. Yeah. That's exactly right. Um, yeah, so let's let's jump into it, because we, we're gonna ha- we have a lot to say. Who's we? I have a lot to say. <laughs> this is a very important movie. There's a lot to talk about. This is It's going to be one of those marathon sessions. Lots why did, why didn't you tell me that before? I could have had an alcohol. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about how this movie was made. The Lion King was first conceived in 1988 by Walt Disney Studios chairman and petty a-hole Jeffrey Katzenberg, <laughs> um, animation chairman and executive Roy E. Disney, and feature animation president Peter Schneider during a plane trip to Europe to promote Oliver and Company. Ooh, I love that movie. <laughs> I'm going to try and uh, mention every, like, almost every animated movie we've talked about um, <laughs> leading up to, for the show, leading up to this one, because there's a lot of uh, crossing paths in the animation industry. Mm-hmm. So it's like everybody who worked on all of those other animation movies that we've watched for Media Made have worked on this movie or touched it in some way. Right. So, Everybody's fingers. So shout this. out to our 1988 episode, Oliver and Company. All those sounds were in that movie. During the conversation, the topic of a story set in Africa came up, and Katzenberg immediately jumped on the idea. Why? I I don't know. And I think also, like, they were talking about, um, like, a story that involved, like, you know, um, overcoming one's, uh, like, fear of the unknown and growing up and, like, you know, uh, Taking up responsibility, I think, identified for Katzenberg. So it's like, in some ways, there's a lot of Katzenberg in The Lion King. Did they decide to go with lions because cats in Berg? Oh, goodness. And that's, that's, and that's why Zazu was there, because it was cats and bird. Boo, get out of here. <laughs> think how much Boo more fun that I'd... man. Boo. <laughs> think how much more fun I'd be with alcohol in me. Ugh. The Africa idea was then developed by Walt Disney Feature Animation's Vice President for Creative Affairs, Charlie Fink, and Thomas Thomas Dish, author of The Brave Little Toaster. Ah. Uh, Shout out to our 1987 movie episode. Uh, They wrote a treatment entitled King of the Kalahari. That's a lot of calamari. (laughs) King of the Calamari. (laughs) Different movie altogether. Uh, The script was further developed by Beauty and the Beast writer, shout out to our 1991 movie episode, Linda Wolverton, 
which was titled King of the Beasts and then King of the Jungle. Um, I guess um, internally they called it Bambi in Africa. <laughs> oh, that man. was Bambi's mom dies. Yeah. That that was the the gist. Oh gosh. Uh, production began in earnest in 1991, but most of the seasoned animators at Disney decided to pass on the project in favor of a Pocahontas project. Oh yeah, I remember that. Which many assumed would be a bigger hit, and it wasn't. I was I watched the, a little bit of the documentary. Waking Sleeping Beauty, which I feel like I mentioned in every episode. <laughs> um, but animators recall Dave, uh, or Jeffrey Katzenberg walking into the animation studios, like giving a tour or something. It's like, oh, yeah, over here we're doing Pocahontas. Big hit. It's going to be the biggest thing in the world. It's going to be so prestigious. And then, yeah, they're working on some lion thing over there. Oh, gosh. Um, Oliver and Company director George Scribner, who you may recall was the guy who sucked up to Peter Schneider <laughs> to keep his job. Right. Um, was Lion King's initial director, later joined by Roger Allers, who was a the lead story man on Beauty and the Beast. Oh, okay. Um, after six months in development work, Scribner decided to leave the project as he clashed with Allers and the producers on the decision to turn the film into a musical, as mm. Scribner's intention was to make a documentary-like film more focused on natural aspects. So the 2019 version. So, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. We, neither of us have seen that like, version. I think like the a lot of the uh, especially the opening to Lion King right, right. with like all of the nature it's, shots it's very National Geographic yes and uh, they allow there there's still I, there's a little bit of that in the final movie like where the movie like just takes a break for a second from mm-hmm. the action it just like focuses on like you know just a, a just shot of sweeping, the savannah yeah yeah or, like you know it starts to rain or something like yeah that. And it's just like this very quiet moment there's a bit of that yeah and I guess he wanted the whole movie to be that way. Hey, did he later work on Spirit? I don't know. Because that whole movie is just following a, a horse that doesn't talk, and that feels very much more like national, like geographic. I'm not sure. Anyway, you've never seen Spirit? I, I fell asleep at a drive-in theater watching Spirit. That's fair. <laughs> uh, Rom Minkoff, whose only director credits at the time were two Roger Rabbit's shorts. Shout out to our 1988 movie episode. <laughs> So uh, there was a clip that they played of that documentary of Rob Minkoff explaining like his, some of his inspirations for the movie, mm-hmm. and uh, he he watched a documentary film called like Lions and Hyenas, the the ultimate enemies or something like that, oh. and that's how the conflict got established. Oh, that's like, so he, interesting. Yeah, he watched this documentary and he said he was so moved by this like unnarrated sequence where lions and hyenas fought each other, and he was like, if I can just take the emotion in that scene and translate it to our movie, we could be successful. And he was right. Yeah, I was like, that, that's that's pretty uh, interesting. Uh, so this creative team once again revised the script, establishing the main theme as leaving childhood and facing up to the realities of the world. Huh, that's interesting. Um, the script also had its title change from King of the Jungle to The Lion King as the setting was not in the jungle, but the savannah. <laughs> Uh, rewrites to both the script and the songs were frequent throughout the entire production. Uh, animator Andreas Deja, a character designer of Scar, as well as, as well as Beauty and the Beast's Gaston and Aladdin's Jafar, um, said that completed scenes would be delivered only for the response to be that the parts needed to be reanimated because dialogue had changed. Ooh, that's annoying. Yep. Ooh, that's annoying. It was like that. That shouldn't be. That shouldn't be the ideal. But at least Disney has the money to throw around to make up for that. Like, Bluth couldn't have afforded that. Yeah. 
Um, and lyricist Tim Rice flew to California at least once a month because his songs needed to be worked into the narrative continuity. So, like, he had to change the the lyrics once a month just to fit, like, the revised story. Ooh, I would not be able to work like that. That's rough. And speaking of Rice, <clears throat> after the lyricist finished off work on Aladdin, he was invited to write for songs on The Lion King. He accepted on the condition of finding a composing partner. As composer Alan Menken, who had worked on Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin, um, was unavailable as he was working on Pocahontas, uh, the producers accepted Rice's suggestion of Elton John. Go, Elton. After Rice's invitation of ABBA fell through. This could have been an ABBA-composed movie. What would that have been? He's the Lion King! Yeah! Oh, I just can't wait! That that feels the most ABBA. Like, (laughs) oh dear. Uh, John and Rice wrote five original songs for the film. Okay. And that is The Lion King. Oh, that wasn't too bad. Yeah, it's not too bad. Um, I'm sure it was a lot more chaotic moment to moment like it seemed like this movie went through a lot of changes before oh yeah it came absolutely together, you know? i'm not down for that yeah but like i'm like it, it came together so beautifully that makes sense as yeah. to why you can still see some of the line work and like scar specifically and mufasa as well if they're like yeah 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 our dialogue changed remake that i'm like i'm not erasing this line <laughs> just have to change this who knows if this is gonna be the final or not right um anyway let's talk about this movie Okay. So normally, like again, we we we'd like to introduce the plot and the characters. I actually have a clip to introduce the the plot of the movie. Dad, mm. we're pals, right? <laughs> right. And we'll always be together, right? Hakuna Matata on a wonderful frame. That's it. What is that? What? I didn't make that. That is Lion King in almost five seconds by Channel Awesome. Okay, good job, Channel Awesome. That was not awesome. It is a song about a young lion cub named Simba, his father Mufasa, who dies. No! (laughs) That's the best. Like, will we always be together? Oh, jeez. Yeah, okay. So, like, the, the real gist of the story is you got a young lion prince named Simba. Um, his father, the king, uh, Mufasa, there's, um, like, Simba's being groomed to be the king, um, and he's got an evil Uncle Scar. Right. And evil Uncle Scar, in very Shakespearean fashion, um... Wants the throne. Right. So he works out a grand plan to murder the king Mufasa and assume the throne, and young Simba gets run out of town. It's an excellent plan. (laughs) And the story is him overcoming his, uh fears and his uh, doubts about himself and um, his you know he's running from his past he needs to confront that so he can return and take his rightful place at the throne yeah more or less Shakespearean biblical yeah I guess (laughs) anyway but the the movie opens we we played a bit of that opening song when we opened the segment but uh, the opening is like just jaw dropping like attention grabbing from the very first second Mm mm-hmm um, do you want to talk about the the song itself first, or do you want me to gush about the animation? Go ahead and gush opening? about the animation. I'm going to get that song started again, but, uh, yeah, man, the animation in that sequence is gorgeous. I mean, yeah, but it has nothing in compared to, uh, Giacomo flying through the streets. Of- get out of here. I talked about the, the animation of Thumbelina, and right, it, it was like... 
night and day watching Thumbelina and then watching The Lion King. Like, I'm like, Thumbelina looks like it was made 50 years before. Because, like, Lion King is gorgeous on an animation standpoint. Like, they're doing things in animation that seemed like leagues beyond anything that John Bluth was even capable of. Rude. So the opening is... They had more money and more people. They did. The opening is this, like... The sun rises on the savannah, and all the animals are migrating to this, like, central location, Pride Rock, to see, like, the coronation of the prince or whatever. Um, I don't don't know. What do we call it? Presentation of Simba. Of the air. Yeah. And so it's, like, all of these sweeping nature shots of animals, like, just moving migrating right and it's like they employ so many documentary and filmmaking techniques just with 2d animation we're talking different lens they they simulate different camera lenses Mm -hmm. as if this was a documentary right yeah um they they play with focus they play with focus like there's this gorgeous shot where you see animals in the background and in the foreground are like ants on a stick yeah ants are moving um, and the ants are out of focus, and you see the things beyond. And then the camera, camera in quotes, because they just simulate this in the animation. The ants, be, like, change to be in focus, and the animals behind are out of focus. Right. And I'm like, that's insane. <laughs> you know? And they, they, like, simulate mist and light mm-hmm. in, in ways that is just, like, it's, it's crazy. Like, to just look at this and be like, yeah, people drew that. Getting drone shots before drones were a thing. Yeah. <laughs> No drone shot could create some of the beauty in this opening sequence. But, like, yeah, like, seeing even... Because those are helicopter shots in, in actual documentaries where it's, like, birds flying over the, the water and you're seeing them from above. Or, yeah. And things like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, like, it's just masterful. Mm-hmm. Um, I got some facts on it. So more than 600 artists, animators, and technicians contributed to The Lion King. Uh, compared to Don Blue's, like, probably group of 50 to 100. Um, as mentioned, most of the heavy-duty talent at Disney were working on Pocahontas. So that means that most of the leading animators on The Lion King were doing their first major work supervising a character or simply had a big... They, they, most of them just simply had a bigger interest in animating animals than... Mm. So it's like, these were like the youngins at the yeah. team. And I was like, they pulled this off. I mean, that's that's, that's like, great on your, your CV. That's like young pride. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's... That's just hungry animators trying to make a name like, for themselves. Oh, you think that we're not going to do well more than Pocahontas? Well, let's see. Yeah. And, and as we mentioned, following Scribner's request for realism early in the production that carried on through the DNA of the entire movie, the animation team tried their best to depict documentary-like effects such as lens flare and different focal lengths. And I was like, no, I'm sure like as a layman watching this movie, no one thinks of that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, Oh, what, what, what are they doing? You know, but you, when you really look at it and you're like, no, 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 they did that. Yeah. They made With pens. They made a 2d image, make it as a pure, like they tried to take a 2d image and recreate like camera phenomenon, you know? Yeah. Like lenses and stuff yeah. like that. I was like, that, that's wild. It's ambitious. And they pulled it off. I got a quote from art director Andy Gaskill. He said, We wanted audiences to sense the vastness of the savanna and to feel the dust and the breeze swaying through the grass. In other words, to get a real sense of nature and to feel as if they were there. It's very difficult to capture something as subtle as a sunrise or rain falling on a pond, but those are the kind of images that we tried to get. Do you feel that they achieved that goal? I think it would have been better if they went for 3D. (laughs) Stop that. (laughs) 
Lion King 3D, we need it. No, I think they did. Like, it's very immersive. It's very much like you're there and you're sitting there. You're looking at, at these animals being animals. Yeah. So do you feel that they even achieve, like, making these animals feel lifelike? Not just the environment, but the animals themselves. Yeah, because I think I, I, when I think of other movies that have animals in them, they usually, like, have human centrist idiosyncrasies. Anthropomorphized? Yeah, you know, that, but also just like, oh, I'm going to do that, like, because, like, a human would, what, whatever, like, if it's with a communication or something like that, like, even. But um, it's very much like these are animals in their element yes in their element and um i think that that comes off very well yeah to that end uh several of the lead crew animators including alers scribner han chapman all these dudes who worked in the movie uh took a trip to hell's gate national park in kenya um in order to study and gain an appreciation for the environment of the film so mm. it's like all based on reality like yeah. they, they took that very seriously um jim fowler Renowned wildlife expert visited the Disney Studios in on several occasions with an assortment of lions and other animals to discuss behavior and to help the animators give their drawings authenticity. Yeah, because I feel like the the moment that I feel like is the most authentic in the movie is when Simba goes to his mom. Is like, let's go to the watering hole, and it's just a bunch of lionesses chilling in the shade and on a sunny savanna day, uh, pruning their children. That's not what it's called. But cleaning them. Cleaning, cleaning their small little cubs. And that felt, yeah. Yeah. And it was like, it's it's plenty clear that they like legit watched lions and other animals like do their thing and they just tried to match the yeah. way they move. And I was like, you just, it's so much and like you get so invested in the story that sometimes you just kind of overlook like these subtle little things that they do is just add up to the movie. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's, I don't know, man. I, I, I. I feel like they went above and beyond with this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I, I would have to agree. They, it's, it's very masterfully done by a lot of interns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they, were, they, they were employees. <laughs> but, um... By journeyman. I know you wanted to look at the lyrics of Circle of Life, the film. Well, okay. Or the, the song. So, I feel like it's, it's less that I, I will, like, pull up some of the lyrics, right? But I think that, um... As both of these movies that we were discussing today at this point in time are are and are musicals i felt like it was important to see how the music themselves uh added to the story yeah, right yeah. and i think with this sweeping opening and the the beginning the first words you hear at all in this movie being um i believe it's swahili I know, I know Hakuna Matata is Swahili, but I'm not sure if the opening is Swahili. But like the first words are in an African tongue, mm-hmm. uh, as you are seeing everything um, come together as yeah. you're watching this world be, which I think is great. Yes, <laughs> it's wonderful that 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 went through. I right? feel like this, that's a that's a way to celebrate a culture in such a like organic. It's it's not it doesn't feel like forced or performative or anything. It's just like no man, we're just. It's it's set in Africa. We're gonna do that. Yeah, celebrate yeah. the culture there. And then it moving on to just like after putting all that right, like the the lyrics here. Uh, I did not like look them up right now uh, or translate the the beginning part, but I do know that <laughs> lots of people. I've seen it before, and it's like here comes a lion. The sun is setting. Ah, uh, a lion comes. There's a lion, <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's the that's the lyrics that I've seen. I haven't re looked it up, but the last time I like looked it up, that's what I was saying. And, and just jumping, you know, like sometimes you see things on the internet, you're like, that's not correct. That is a meme. But I'm pretty sure it's just saying this way a lion comes. 
Um, but it moving into like once all the animals are, are all together and stuff. Uh, and just talking about... <laughs> yeah, got it. Here comes a lion father. Oh, yes, it's a lion. Here comes the lion father. Oh, yes, it's a lion. A lion we're going to conquer. A lion, a lion. And a leopard. <laughs> Come to this open place. Yep. It's beautiful, though. It is. Um, and, and, and it's, like, iconic. Like, iconic. I feel like when everyone see, when anyone sees, like, a, a rising sun, you know, over the horizon, or uh, someone holding up a small, if it's a baby, or an animal, or a whatever. Bread. They all go, ah, <laughs> Yes. Anyway. Um, yeah, it is very iconic, and it's very... Like, good, I just to open with that, right? Yes. Like I said. But the song itself is beautiful. Like, the words are very, I think, in um, in line with something that you said before, that the, the, the hope of this movie was to be about, like, tackling the fear of the unknown, tackling the, like, idea of leaving childhood behind and taking responsibility of your responsibilities. And just the, the song itself is talking about that right like this move from childhood to right so from the day we arrive on the planet basking step into the sun there's more to see than it ever be seen more to do than can ever be done the idea of like the wonder that we see as children and how it's so big and amazing but as you become an adult realizing like i will never be able to do everything i will never be able to take part in all of the wonders that i can hear about because there's so much um and there's far too much to take in here. That idea, like, after this this thing of wonder is this fear of even FOMO, even yeah. before FOMO was the thing. There's far too much to take in here. More uh, to find than can ever be found. But the sun rolling high through the sapphire sky keeps great and small on the endless round. And this idea that, like, everything's... I almost quoted something. And the world's so big, Thumbelina. Oh, and it and it is right. Like it's so much that you'll never. Like you can feel overwhelmed with it. But just because you're overwhelmed doesn't mean the sun stops rising. Doesn't mean that the sky doesn't go from uh, blue to red to black to purple to back to blue. Right. Like, and no matter how much you see it changing and growing like you are beholden to this yeah. right because it is the circles of life uh it moves us all through faith or through despair and hope and faith and love and i thought i had like made a note it's not really a note but i just said bold of you disney to tackle the meaning of life in the opening of a children's movie because very that's bold. exactly what it is yeah. you know this um this idea that uh like and they just they definitely open with it right like uh till we find a place on the path unwinding the circle of life in the circle of life right like that that's the intent of the movie and i don't think it like it, it's not that it doesn't hammer at home it's like it doesn't it says this is the intent but we are not going to handhold you and say this over and over in the thing and it's not even like blatantly spayed out like in thumbelina where you're like i want a man soon it's not that right, right. it's this very like abstract presentation of yeah. this very real fear that i feel like most sentient beings have an understanding of and it, it does a really good job of establishing at least one of the themes of the movie, which is like the circle of life as a symbol is like there's a place for everything, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone, every 
organism, you know, every person has their place in the world and it's their job to find it and to like, you know, contribute to, you know, this thing called, this thing called life that we all take part in, you know, it's like, find your place in the world and accept your responsibility within it. Yeah. And, uh, obviously that theme will go well for you if you do. Yeah. to, To explain that theme a little bit more, I have a clip. Uh, this is the character Mufasa, who is the current Lion King at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> the Bambi's mom. J- James Earl Jones explaining to his young son Simba the meaning of life. Everything you see exists together in a delicate balance. As king, you need to understand that balance and respect all the creatures, from the crawling ant to the leaping antelope. Dad, don't we eat the antelope? Yes, Simba, but let me explain. When we die, our bodies become the grass, and the antelope eat the grass. And so, we are all connected in the great circle of life. There's like this respect for for every piece of life mm-hmm. in, in the wise Mufasa. You know, it's like, yeah, we eat the antelope, but it's like... They're they're serving their purpose the same thing the same way we are, you know, and it's like we serve our purpose when we live and when we die. Yeah. And it's just like this beautiful symbiosis, you know, that exists, yeah. like in this ecosystem, right? There's like a balance. I like that. Yeah. And I also don't think we really talk about how like Mufasa's legit talking to his young son about death. Yeah. Like, you know, right, we're preparing we're preparing us for what's gonna happen next. But like that that even in that, right, this kind of like, this is my responsibility as a father and as a king to uh, impart this knowledge. And, at the, you know, that's, that's really interesting. Like the, the tragedy of that scene and the fact that is the fact that Simba does not heed this advice or this this like lecture. Right. Mm-hmm. Simba didn't it didn't sink in fully. Right. Right. He's preparing Simba that, hey, I will die one day. Yeah. It is your responsibility to step up. Um, and take your place in the circle of life, you know, like assume the throne, um, shepherd this circle of life that I've been shepherding. It's like, and, and Simba didn't do that because, you know, out of fear. Because he was, yeah, he was young and it was a shock. Lots of stuff. Yeah, that's his character. Um, that's his character arc. Yeah. Is he needs to overcome that. Let's talk a little bit about Simba. Simba. Because I know you have some thoughts on Simba as a little boy character. <laughs> Yeah, I think that, well, okay, so this is much better, right? This is, I I feel like when we were talking about this, I was saying how, like, this is how you write a not terrible child character. Child character. Dad, Dad, come on, Dad, we gotta go, wake up! Sorry. Dad, Dad. Son, wake Dad, for sunrise, he's your son. Dad, come on, Dad. It's like Simba is annoying in this movie. Yeah. But just here, and it's okay because this is demonstrating that the character is young and, like, brash and undisciplined. Yeah. He will grow from this moment. Yeah, exactly, right? Like, whereas we compare it to something, I don't know, off the top of my head, a stupid mouse that should have died very quickly. Named Fifle? <laughs> um, where you're just like, immediately, oh, our, our home is being attacked and burned down by cats. Ah, let me at him. Okay, that's annoying and dumb, but I'll let it go because that's the first thing and you need to learn from this because your family's now, like, evicted and going through... Oh, I'm on the. Oh, I'm looking at this stuff. I'm making problems for everyone. I'm gonna go on top of this boat because I want to see the fish. I'm gonna da da da. Just thing after thing, where it's just like you're not 
learning or growing or you're not even taking these very serious moments to like mean anything like especially like if it's this early right so we see uh you should have two right like the first one right simba here is being annoying as a child is it's not um detrimental it's not hurting anyone it's nothing yeah like and that. he hasn't made a mistake he hasn't yet. made a mistake yet but when later he does um and his dad has to come and correct him, right? Like, because for the same reasons, right? We already saw he's brash and he doesn't think well and he da-da-da-da-da. He uh, gets lectured by his dad and then um, learns, right? Like, you're, you have to think through things because you have consequences. Consequences will happen. Right. Um, so then when it goes down with Mufasa, he isn't think you know like he hasn't done anything he was staying here he was listening and following the directions of his elder um and he was waiting on his dad he was being you know like okay i need to be better about this and he was caught in the situation that the reason he moved like that he like fled was not had did not have nothing to do with his like uh poor character of being brash and annoying child but it was now he had swung too far to the other side to like always listening to the adults you know like don't trust your instincts at all even just forget that what your dad just said about um like how it's a circle and how yeah. like these things happen and it was just like okay and he comes it we will go through all these things, right? Like, but you see the growth. You see that, like, oh, he is brash. And this is how all that brashness can lead to, like, bad stuff. But this is also how if you don't, like, really think through things and you just follow orders, that's all, that can also be bad and lead to different consequences. Right. Um, and we, I think Disney did that really well here. Yes. Um, with all the different character beats, like this is the this is Bill Zorman. This is like the story of growth. Yep, becoming an adult. Mm-hmm. So let's let's unpack that. Let's uh, follow Simba's journey a little bit, um, especially some of the early lessons that he learns. You know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I, I grabbed a bunch of clips of like Simba demonstrating his childlike uh, attitudes toward things, but he's always challenged or corrected in some way. And then you know, there's always there's always a learning experience for every time he acts like a child. There's always a little bit of a learning experience for him. Right. So the, the very beginning of the movie, his father Mufasa um, teaches him a few things about the kingdom. There are also moments that he is shown that he is able to be a child. Right. It's not like you have to grow up so fast. There are also moments, right, like Mufasa's like, let's play a game. Let's do these things because you are you are a child. There's right. just more things, you know, like, but there are things that you need to, like. Yeah be more responsible in right so one of the earliest lessons in the movie is uh mufasa is teaching uh, simba about the, the the boundaries of the kingdom and we mm-hmm. get this iconic line everything the light touches is our kingdom wow a king's time as ruler rises and falls like the sun one day simba the sun will set on my time here and will rise with you as the new king and this will all be mine? Everything. And from a child's perspective, it's like, I'll get to rule everything. I get mm-hmm. to make all the rules. I, I I, get to boss people around. It's all mine. Right. That Very childlike. Right. right. But then Mufasa tempers it and explains, like, it's more than just getting your way. Mm-hmm. It's about um, bearing your own responsibilities. Like in that clip earlier about the, you know, bear maintaining the circle of life right right maintaining the the order and the balance of the world right mm-hmm. it's always tempered 
Yeah. And of course, also, uh, Mufasa warns Simba about uh, <laughs> the dark, shadowy place that's not in the kingdom. Everything the light touches. What about that shadowy place? That's beyond our borders. You must never go there, Simba. But I thought a king can do whatever he wants. Oh, there's more to being king than getting your way all the time. There's more? <laughs> Simba. And that's when he says, like, the, the king needs to, you know, be part of the circle of life. Or yeah. And that and that's such, a, like, a good and important lesson, right? To just talk about the responsibility that comes with such a privilege. Yes. Because that's what it is. Right. Another clip I have of Simba being a little kind Brat? of a, bra- a little bratty mm-hmm. kid uh, is when he first encounters his uncle Scar. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you describe Scar for us a little bit? Attractive. <laughs> the sexual awakening of many. Oh dear. <laughs> Roguish, dark scar upon his eye. It's how he got his name. I mean, his original name was Trash, but then they got a scar, so he pivoted. He pivoted and went with that nickname. Uh, malnourished. <laughs> he's, he's like this skinny, conniving, very Shakespearean yes. uh, villain. He he is always plotting the death of his brother, the king. So that he's he very can... much. Uh, it's Francis, not Frank. <laughs> My favorite line in the beginning of the movie is uh, the um, the king's like main advisor, who's a little toucan named Zazu. Zazu. Is he a toucan? I don't know what he is. He's a, some kind of bird. He's a bird. He's not. I don't think. Anyway, he 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 tells. Scar wasn't there at the, like the presentation of Simba when Simba was born, and he's like, "As the the king's brother, you should have been the first in line to be there." And he says, "And he goes, well, I was the first in line." <laughs> <laughs> then the little brat was born, or whatever. Yeah, like, that was fun. But yeah, so Simba approaches Scar, and obviously Simba doesn't understand that Scar has up the utmost contempt for his brother and Simba. Right. <laughs> but you know. Simba's a little kid, so he sees the good in everybody. So mm-hmm. he's just trying to be playful. Yeah. And also has no tact or understanding of the things he's saying. No. Hey, Uncle Scar, guess what? I despise guessing games. I'm going to be king of Pride Rock. Oh, goody. My dad just showed me the whole kingdom. And I'm going to rule it all. <laughs> yes. You know that... that you know that position you've always wanted to held your entire life and you have, you know, just like this deep-seated uh, uh, contentment and bitterness because you can't have it? I'm going to have it. It's you mine, sucker. Simba doesn't, like, he didn't mean to. Yeah, he doesn't know that, like, because he's going to be king that Scar will absolutely not have yeah, a chance. Either way, he's, like, sitting here just, like, humble bragging to Scar. Right? Like... <laughs> Twisting the knife and Scar's just like, I want to kill this kid so bad. I can bad. have everything the light touches, except Florida over there. And you still think... Like, I still think this is a strong character movement for Simba. It's annoying. Like, Simba, like I can see Scar be like, stupid kid, shut up. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know. You, you know that Simba's going to change. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. Because I think the thing that he he lacks here, well, obviously is tact, but something that he has to learn is, right, like, the people, the animals, those in your kingdom, you must teach, treat with respect, right? And never yes. lord over the fact that you are lord <laughs> right. of the land. Um, and then, of course, uh, Scar uses this as an opportunity to trick Simba in order to get him killed. Yes. What does he do? 
He uh, tells him about an elephant graveyard. He didn't show you what's beyond that rise of the northern border. Well, no. He said I can't go there. And he's absolutely right. It's far too dangerous. Only the bravest lions go there. Well, I'm brave. What's up? Oh, I'm sorry, Simba. I just can't tell you. Why not? Simba, Simba, I'm only looking out for the well-being of my favorite nephew. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm your only nephew. All the more reason for me to be protective. An elephant graveyard is no place for a young prince. Oops. An elephant what? Whoa. Oh, dear, I've said too much. You know, another thing that's probably making Simba, like, very likable um, and not annoying is Jonathan Taylor Thomas is an <laughs> uh, upstanding actor. <laughs> like, he's very good at what he's doing. He's very, uh... Whereas, like, the kid who played Fievel sucked. He was very young. But yeah, like he's very charismatic, even if just his voice. <laughs> yeah, I was like, there's there's a lot of talent in that young man. <laughs> so, do you want to talk about uh, what happens to the elephant graveyard first, or do you want to talk about the next song? Because there's a song in between here in the graveyard. I think the song like leads very much into like it, it leads out of us talking about how like the tact that he doesn't have, right? Like yeah. because as much as he's tactless with. Um, Scar, he doesn't realize he is. He knows he's being a butt to Zazu. True. And that's literally a, not just a vassal of the land, but a high... A, Ranking a, a high wishing authority official literally has the ear to the king. And he's just like, yeah, when I'm king, you're not going to be here anymore. Calls him bird brain and like yeah. memes and stuff like that. Yeah. So that song is called I Just Can't Wait to Be I Just Can't Wait to Be King. And it starts like this. Is it the I Want song? It's a tradition going back generations. Well, when I'm king, that'll be the first thing to go. Not so long as I'm around. Well, in that case, you're fired. Mm, nice try, but only the king can do that. Well, he's the future king. Yeah, so you have to do what I tell you. Not yet, I don't. And with an attitude like that, I'm afraid you're shaping up to be a pretty pathetic king indeed. <laughs> Not the way I see it. He's gonna be a mighty king. Gonna be a mighty king. Enemies beware. Well, I've never seen a king on beast. So yeah, um, I guess you can consider this the I want song, but it's it's like a misguide. It's kind of like a subversion of the I want song, right? He's he is describing what he wants, but what he wants is based on a child childlike worldview right mm -hmm. and it's like what he wants now will be different from what he wants at the end of the movie yeah so it's an interesting like a twist of the i want song trope i think it's also very right like a very good reflection of what we were talking about the circle of life talks about like this is the portion that first verse where like there's so much to see it's such a wide world and he's like yeah there's more to being a king. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna I have get to, all of these things. And I get I, to be. I could have this power and this power and this power. Right, and um, all of that is going to, like, obviously, like, start tumbling when you start seeing. In the same way, right? When we're kids, we have dreams of like, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a blah 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 blah. And then we realize, like, mm, some people can do it. <laughs> You know, but it's not for everyone. It's not for the the thing, and it doesn't look like you expect it to look. I was like watching something. Oh, I was a thing, and somebody was talking about like uh, if you wanted to, like if you want to work with animals and be in a zoo, don't ever work with your favorite animal because within the first six hours of your first working experience, you're gonna hate that. Animal. <laughs> 
because you're going to know ins and outs of it that you never like that you saw on paper, but it's so much different in real life. Yeah. And that's how I think like our dreams as children turn out, right? Where it's just kind of like there's some people that can do it. But, like, even they understand, like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. I write about video games for a living, and I'm just, like, some days I'm like, I don't want to write about that video game. Some days, like, literally today, you're like, why do I write for these people? (laughs) (laughs) I love you, my audience, but, you know, (laughs) it is what it is. It's been a long weekend. Yeah. (laughs) It was just like, why do I have to do another thing? Um, and so I, you're right. I think it is a very childish idea of this I want song. And I think it's it's really interesting to be able to show because, right, like this is one of those rare uh, cartoons, these rare animated films that are showing a a span of time that is uh, more of a lifetime yeah. than anything else, especially previously that we would see. It would be like, oh, uh, yeah, this is like three days, right? Aladdin technically takes place over three days. Right. Or like you don't really see the thoughts and ideals of somebody change in that amount of time. It, it's possible, but like not like when you're doing a sweeping thing like this yeah. and this idea that like, I can't wait to be king. And when it's, you know, like really thought through, right? Like I feel like when I was young, I was like, yeah, I want to be a princess. I want to be blah, blah, blah. But like, if you ask me now and people are like, treat her like a queen, I'm like, treat me like a duchess. Like, I don't want the responsibility <laughs> of a queen. Like I would like to be able to run my one household and maybe the fiefdom around me. And that's it. Don't give me a country. Yeah. And that's the difference. Yep. I agree. Um, so from a, from a, like a animation perspective, I don't have a whole lot to say about it. I just can't wait to be king. But the sequence is gorgeous, like mm-hmm. in terms of color. Like Simba takes a step and the entire like environment changes. Yeah. Right? Like just changes color and it gets very stylized. Yeah. And it, it, is, it is very cool looking. It's very striking. And I, I, I do appreciate that. It's almost like a – I don't know. It's almost like a piece of – like it looks like it's ripped from like a piece of fabric or something. Like, yeah. Like, or like a Everything menag- becomes like very patterned. Yeah, like a menagerie or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. like from Chicka Chicka Boom Boom or something. You've never seen that? I've read it. It's a book. Oh, okay. I was thinking Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. No. My bad. Chicka Chicka Boom Boom. <laughs> right? Sure. I don't know. Um, and, and then, of course, after this song ends, uh, the, the main is Simba and his best friend Nala. Uh, His betrothed. They duck Zazu and they head off to the elephant graveyard because Simba thinks he is uh, brave and strong enough to look at this cool place. Because he's been manipulated into things. That's also true. (laughs) He's very naive and dumb. But anyway, uh, we get more of the, like, this is, in my opinion, the point in time where this is Simba at his most flawed. Mm -hmm. Right? This line right here, you probably know what I'm going to play, right? Yeah. The only checking out you will do would be to check out of here. Oh, man. We're way beyond the boundary of the Pride Lab. Plus, Banana Beak is scared. <laughs> it's Mr. Banana Beak to you, Fuzzy. And right now, we are all in very real danger. Danger? Ha! I walk on the wild side. I laugh in the face of danger. <laughs> Stupid Simba over here being Mr. Prideful. I will say that's probably my favorite bit of young uh, Simba animated. The like, I walk on the wilds. I can immediately see him cat pose to the side. And then when he, ha, 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 his head thrown back, his ears fluffy and his head wagging. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And yeah, so he's this little, like, he's he's in over his head. Yeah. You know, and, and th- that's the, 
yeah, you're not ready to be king yet. Yeah. You know, as much as you want to be, you're not ready. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't bear this responsibility yet. Ooh. Look at you. You're calling a banana beak. Such a rude little yeah, boy. Yeah, you're getting your friend in danger. Yeah. Right? And and it, it's very real danger, like Zazu said, because you heard all the hyenas laughing. Mm-hmm. And that's when the hyenas... Are, <laughs> hyenas. hyenas. That's when the hyenas are uh, introduced. Well, 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 Banzai, what have we got here? Hmm, I don't know, Shenzi. Uh, what do you think, Ed? Oh. <laughs> yeah, just what I was thinking. A trio of trespassers. I was reading that apparently, because that's Cheech Marin and Whoopi Goldberg and Tim Cummings, Jim Cummings. And uh, I was reading that apparently what they wanted to do was have Cheech and Chong be the, the hyenas. Mm. But Chong was busy. So they just brought in Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> I mean, she does. She better. did a great job. Great job. That's so interesting that you want, they wanted Cheech and Chong to do it. Uh, and Cheech was still going to do it, but they gave the lead hyena to Whoopi. She did a great job. She did do a great job. But I was just like, I would have expected the lead to be Cheech. You know, yeah. yeah. Maybe it's just Whoopi was, you know, bigger name. Yeah. But yeah, so the hyena, this initiates a, a, a chase sequence and, and Simba and the Simba, Nala and Zazu just narrowly avoid escape or they narrowly avoid getting eaten by these hyenas. Because daddy comes. Daddy comes and you get that moment where uh, it, it's it's a few great moments where Simba is like comparing himself to his dad. Oh, yeah. There's it's like beautiful. There's like one where like Simba, they're, they're backed into a corner and Simba like steps forward to try and like scare the hyenas off by trying to roar. And it's just like this. Right, and then you hear like a, a real lion roar, and they look up, and it's Mufasa. Yeah, and it's just like, oh yeah, yeah, Simba, you're you're. You have a lot of growing to do, right. and then like a little bit later, a scene later when uh, he he's about to get scolded, and Mufasa sends Nala home with um, Zazu, and then Simba walks up after him. And, like, you see him literally walk in his father's uh, footprint, and he is nowhere near, you know, yeah, able like, to feel, fill his shoes, very literally. Yeah. I was like, that's another thing about this movie. And I think bo- both this and the Lion King sequel do a good job with visual storytelling and symbolism. Mm-hmm. You know, like, j- they didn't have to put that in there. But, like, some artist somewhere thought of that idea, and everyone was like, that's perfect like in terms of symbolism yeah we need that in there you yeah know? and it's like they didn't cut it because they could have mm-hmm. to save time or whatever it's like oh we're gonna draw another drawing you know like no no they did it and it works and it's powerful yeah and they do the same thing with like reflections later on in water and stuff like that yeah um and then you get this excellent scene where uh mufasa gently scolds his son in, in a very dad way and you as we all know it it's it's harsher to hear the dad isn't angry. He's disappointed. <laughs> Simba, I'm very disappointed in you. I know. You could have been killed. You deliberately disobeyed me. And what's worse, you put Nala in danger. I was just trying to be brave like you. I'm only brave when I have to be. Simba, being brave doesn't mean you go looking for trouble. I feel like... Our, our shorthand for, like, we always say, you deliberately disobey me. me. <laughs> it's like, that is the most, um, when you, <laughs> I was like, when you want to express to someone that you're upset that they've done something wrong, you deliberately disobey me. <laughs> for real. And I also just want to camp out on something that I didn't realize until I'm listening to it right now. Like, the, the idea that, like, Mufasa is disappointed because you disobeyed me. 
But he says, you deliberately disobey me. But what's worse is you put Nala in danger. It wasn't even, it's like, like saying like, I gave you a, I am your father. I gave you a direct code of content and you didn't do it. And that's not the thing that I'm most mad at. Yeah. You know, and that is the idea that like, especially I, I think in general, like I'll talk about like fatherhood and stuff, but like in general, if we're talking about like kingship and being a good steward of the land that you rule, like he's saying, I'm your king and you should follow me. But what's more is you're supposed to be king next and you're supposed to be protecting. And if I'm not teaching you to think of the safety of those that are supposed to be your people that you will be ruling, I'm yes. very disappointed. I'm failing. I mean, I'm, that's a reflect, bad reflection on me as your father. Yeah, you know, and, and that, that that's something that you didn't pick up, right? Like that you, it wasn't that you just put yourself in danger. It's that you put, so, you know, kind yeah. of thing. And I think that that's such one, or even a harder hit when you really, <laughs> when you like really take time to think about it. It's like, oh man, whoever wrote this scene was like, the, let's the, cut it every <laughs> The writing in this movie is so good. Yeah. That's like... Sorry, sorry to keep trashing on Thumbelina, but I was like, Thumbelina's biggest failures is in its its writing, its storytelling, and its characters, right? And like, this movie just like does does so much to like shine a light on Thumbelina's failings by yeah. like being ultra successful in all of those areas. That being said, Thumbelina never dip- disappointed her mother. She always did the things that her mother asked her to and listened to her carefully. So Thumbelina is a better parent than Mufasa. And that... Thumbelina was never That is a hill. That is a hill that I will stand (laughs) on. Get out of here. I won't. I'm on this hill. But like all that being... Like that being said, right? This idea of um, uh, Mufasa balancing being a king, a predecessor, and a father. And how you, you have to like put... Like, you know, there's a reason why of like... Fictional fathers, father Mufasa is up there for basically anyone in our in our generation, and um, maybe like even the ones after because of things like this, where it's like pretty close to perfect father. Yep. Uh, very, very. I mean, very fictional because right, who among us <laughs> can be perfect I wish, at parenting? I wish James Earl Jones was my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but like, yeah, and I, I just think that this moment is. This is the moment where he really, he, he does this, right? Like he scolds him and like points out to like, these are the different things that you did wrong. This is how we're going to learn from it. But then goes and plays with his son, you know, he doesn't disregard it. He doesn't undercut it, but he's also like, no, this is something you need to learn. You were a child, but like, not only could you have died, you could have been the cost of someone else's life. Yeah. And, and, and Mufasa happens later. Mufasa (laughs) gets vulnerable too. Like he, he's like. I thought I'd lost you, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I was like, it's so good. It's really good. It's such a great scene. Um, anyway, uh, moving on. I, I know you want to talk about the next song. It's your favorite I song. I love it. It's it's the best villain song. Disney has a lot of great villain songs. This nope. is among the best. This is the best villain song. Name one that you feel is, is comparable. Hellfire. Notre Dame. It's a good one. Okay, but here's the thing. I don't count that as like a Disney villain song. I count that as like a real thing that I'm sure some people (laughs) believe in seeing. You're right. Okay, fine. Fine. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. That one. 
Here's the thing. I think this is the best villain song because it's like something that I can get. Like I was like, oh, it's not, it's not great, but I can get behind all of it. I really like it. But that other one is like, please die soon. (laughs) Hellfire is like, oh no, this is not a villain that I, I, this villain is too like actually in real life. I can't with him. I was going to say there's no other villain song in all of Disney's categories use straight up Nazi imagery (laughs) to, to demonstrate like the vileness of their villain. Right. It's like, that, that, okay, we're talking about a song called Be Prepared. and well, Let me get that started for us. I practically gift-trapped those cubs for you, and you couldn't even dispose of them. Well, you know, it wasn't exactly like they were the lone skull. Yeah, what are you supposed to do? Kill Mufasa? Precisely. It's also just got so much good beat. I love the the uh, there's a hyena with like a a, a vibraphone of um, of bones. Skeleton. Yeah, and it's like doo doo doo. So tell us why why do you like be prepared so much? <laughs> I I like it just because it's it's like you know who I am, right? Like there there are. I don't necessarily always get behind like antagonists and villains. There's sometimes where I'm just like, okay, what? Like, I get what you're doing, blah blah blah. But there are like rare times where I'm like, I don't think you should win, but, but I'm with point. you. I'm with you, right? So like, the only other person, the only other villain that I was like uh, that with, which bear with me, kids, Thanos. I was like, oh, he is crazy. He's literally talking genocide of a universe. Um, only half of it. Only half of it, but still massive genocide um but he he's he's got conviction he's got conviction but he's got conviction like when i can't remember what it, i haven't watched endgame is that endgame or is it the one before that infinity, infinity war? war yeah i haven't watched it since it came out because i don't rewatch movies that i don't absolutely love and it's a good movie but it's also long and um however he was when he was explaining right like why he was doing what he was doing i was like yeah yeah, I see. I see what. I, mm-hmm. Not. I mean, no, <laughs> not the solution. But I'm behind it, and I feel the same about Scar. I think like when you're he, you know, infanticide and patricide and all the sides that he sides, not good. I don't get behind that. Please right. don't kill anyone so that regicide. you can have power. Regicide. That's what it was. It was his dad's not <laughs> the one he tries to kill. Well, I don't know. Maybe he killed his. Maybe dad. he killed his dad. Um. But, like, when you're looking at the whole thing, just him, one, there's something just about the, the voice of Tim Curry. Uh, and this isn't Tim Curry. It's Jeremy Irons. Who's Tim Curry? Tim Curry's uh, the British dude. <laughs> he was oh. in a, he's a yeah. Home Alone 2. So, Jeremy Irons. <laughs> um, there's something about just how he's saying it, right? This I, I like, I like the... Uh, caching of um songs when it's villains when you're mostly speaking it and like less singing right like your thick accent and stuff um but just some of the lines like later well i want to talk about one line but just when you get to like okay why is he doing this right like and it, it is about like power but um like the last one of the last verses uh so prepare for the coup of a century uh be prepared for the murkiest scam 
meticulous planning, tenacity spanning decades of denial is simply while I'll be the king undisputed. And this idea, right? Like with all these things, he's scheming all of these things, but um, he's he's like, but I, but because it should be mine, but because because I would make a good king, because I've been denied this for decades. And I'm going to have it. And I, there's something about just the, like, audacity of that. But yeah. also, like, me just, under, you know, like, really yeah. understanding, like, okay. And it, it's not for any good reasons. It's not because the current king is doing bad. It's not for, it's legit because you want to be in that place of power. Right. You want the throne. But there's just something about how he, like, presents it and how he, like, is. Because this is very much the same in some respects with uh, Mary the Mole, because it's about, this is something that I want for myself, so I'm going to gaslight and manipulate these people around me, these beings around me. Which is the hyenas. Do, yes, which is the hyenas, to do what I want so that I can get what I want. He's Hitler. He's Hitler. He's Hitler. Um, and it's just, it's just great. Though there's a line in uh, the song, it says, uh, and injustice deliciously squared. What does that mean to you? Because I read it and I was just like, ah. One more time? So it's, um, I know it sounds sordid, but you'll be rewarded when at last I'm given my dues and injustice deliciously squared be prepared. I was like, what? I think like like a, a dish served cold, right? Like, Or I think it's like, Justice served like nice and neatly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like on a plate. That's what yeah. I'm thinking of. Like deliciously squared, meaning like, you know, cut up nice and neat, you know, like beautifully plated. So that's really interesting. Because like, I, I can get behind that because it, it says injustice, deliciously squared. Oh, okay. So like, no, no. But like, yeah. if you're saying where you're just kind of like, what? <laughs> where yeah. it's just like lines like that, where it takes me a minute to just like, what? Wait, what are you saying? Like when you're giving your dues and then you're sorting out the injustices that you have felt mm-hmm. like now it's all squared up kind of thing. And Maybe. just like this, this, the conviction behind it is yeah. the reason yeah. I like the song. This is very much <laughs> like he, he believes he deserves this. Imagine if he had turned out to be a good king, you know, it's like, it would have been. It's like this guy, like, you know, he's, he's got weird, uh, he's got weird like social issues and he's, <laughs> he's kind of a bad person, but he rules well. Yeah. He's got that country under control. <laughs> like uh yikes but no um he he does bad <laughs> he does bad in the next yeah la- later we see yeah he does bad to get his power and then he doesn't do good with his power yeah um so brush over a little bit uh he concocts his grand plan to have uh he wants to murder both simba and mufasa in one fell swoop right but so, he doesn't want to get his paws dirty. Right. So he causes a, a stampede of wildebeests and traps Simba in like a gorge so that the stampede will run him over. Which uh, we looked up and that is exactly what a, a stampede of uh, wildebeests looks like. Yes. Wilde- it, it's not It's not exaggerated in the film. They are ter- yeah, a, a stampeding wildebeests is a ter- like a terrifying thing. Dude, get out. Get in a jeep and run. Like. Yeah. I don't have any clips of the wildebeest stampede itself, but That's I do have some facts. <laughs> it is very loud. But I have some facts about the animation because this is another example of them going above and beyond in terms of animation. Light on. So in order to make the wildebeest stampede thing happen, right? You can't uh, imagine drawing thousands of wildebeests 
on screen, right? It can't be done. I can't even. It do can one. be done, but it shouldn't be done. That's too much. <laughs> That's too much work. A thousand of these little guys like rolling around. So what they did was several distinct wildebeest characters were created in a 3D computer program. So it's just 3D, 3D modeled and animated wildebeests. Mm-hmm. Um, they were multiplied into hundreds, cell shaded to look like drawn animation, and given randomized paths down a mountainside to simulate the real, unpredictable movement of a herd. So that's like you gotta you gotta you gotta model those things. You have to animate them to make them look like they're running. Yeah. You have to shade them so they look like they're hand drawn. Then you have to run them into some kind of computer algorithm that will randomize their movements in a simulation mm-hmm. to make it look like, you know, basically like run the computer and just say, hey, here are... The-. So you have to have like coders had to be involved. Yeah. You had to code this computer to basically run this simulation of all these wildebeest running down, you know? That's insane. It's insane. Five specially trained animators and technicians spent more than two years creating this Oof. sequence. Five. <laughs> this is work of five people. That's... Oi. I mean, good job. Yeah. Disney didn't think that this movie would be worth anything, and you said, bet. But anyway, uh, the stampede ends in the death of Mufasa. <gasps> what? St- yeah. That was that, that clip I played at the very beginning. <laughs> no! Long live the king. Oh, that, that would, I, I forgot that clip. That would have been a good one. I did it for you. I'll do it right now. <clears throat> Skull! Robo! Help me! <laughs> That's the that's the stampede behind it. The king. And this has been Media Made, a podcast for your ears. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Simba uh, encounters death, and I was like, that's it's a long uncut shot of just a corpse in a Disney film. Like, yeah, it's like just a straight up corpse. On screen for a long time. Yep. And you know what I'm realizing after we've had this talk about how he was like, uh, what's worse? Someone could have died. This is it. This is what is worse. Ah. And so young Simba takes it to heart. Yes. So Scar convinces him that it's his fault. Yeah. So since since Scar does convince, right? Like he's like, oh no. It's like, well, this is your fault. And he's like, oh no. My dad. My dad said that if I. Wasn't like maybe I shouldn't have been roaring at that lizard. Maybe that's the reason. Oh no! Oh no! And runs away. Yep. But the king is dead. And if it weren't for you, he'd still be alive. <gasps> what will your mother think? <laughs> what am I gonna do? Run away, Simba. Run, run away, and never return. And that's what he does. <laughs> he runs away from his problems. Because the adult told him to. This is true. And uh, he's, a, he's afraid. It's, it's a lot of fear involved as well. Yeah, because, I mean, you were just told that you were the cause of your father's death. Like, and then, yeah. That makes, I mean, it's, it makes sense. It does make sense. It's heartbreaking, but it makes sense. Yeah. Because um, we're to assume, like, age-wise, like, Simba is, if we were to, like, address it in human years, like, Eight or nine? Ten or eleven, maybe? Even. Yeah. Like, right before puberty. Yeah. Even yeah. though, like, probably in line, it's probably, like, a year, not, no, that yeah, small, probably, like, six months old as an actual lion. But. Yeah. Yeah, I would 
I would run so too. Simba leaves the Pride Lands and goes out into the desert, and uh, he's met by two characters. Who is that? Timon and Pumbaa. Jeez, it's a lion! Run, Pumbaa, move it! Hey, Timon, it's just a little lion. Look at him. He's so cute and all alone. Can we keep him? Pumbaa, are you nuts? You're talking about a lion. Lions eat guys like us. But he's so little. He's gonna get bigger. Maybe he'll be on our side. <laughs> ah, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. Maybe he'll be... Hey, I got it. What if he's on our side? Everybody loves Timon and Pumbaa. I hate they're Timon. Gr- <laughs> they're great characters. Okay. They're, they're lovable. Uh-huh. You don't want to just give Pumbaa big grip, big grip a hug? I want to give Timon a punch in the face. <laughs> there's, I, there's nothing that annoys me more than a person that takes credit for someone else's. They're selfish and self-serving people, but like... I don't know. They're just like buffoonish. Yeah. There's uh, they, they, they remind me of like R two D two and C three PO in a way. You know, it's like just kind of like these bumbling uh, two this characters. Is you know, not the warthog you were looking for. <laughs> um, but Timon and Pumbaa, they're outcasts, just like Simba uh, is, and um, they present Simba with their philosophy on life, which is what? Hakuna Matata ya. Oh, look, kid. Bad things happen, and you can't do anything about it, right? Right. Wrong! When the world turns its back on you, you turn your back on the world. Well, that's not what I was taught. Then maybe you need a new lesson. Repeat after me. (coughs) Hakuna Matata. What? Hakuna Matata! It means no worries! Where do you think they heard this phrase? I don't... uh, You know, I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure they learned that word in that in Lion King one and a half. <laughs> that that scene is presented. I don't remember it, but I'm pretty sure there is a scene where they they fix it. They they, they learn what a kunamatata is for the first time. <laughs> Lion King one and a half. It's a interquel telling what Timon and Pumbaa were doing throughout the first film. Yep. Um. So yeah, I'm I'm not gonna play the Akuna Matata song because we're going a little long, but. It is a wonderful song. It's super catchy, and we'll close the episode out with it. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I wanted to at least talk about Hakuna Matata because that fully sets up like Simba's uh, um, like conflict, his, mm-hmm. his inner conflict, his character arc, right? Like everything we've talked about to this point establishes right here. It's like Simba at his most flawed is right here. You know, like not just as a dumb, stupid kid who hasn't learned anything. Like he's he was learning, but now he's making the choice to. Basically live like this hedonistic lifestyle out yeah. in, the, in the woods with these two guys. Like all about pleasure, running from the past, running from hurts and discomforts and just enjoying life. If this was a different movie, this would be a commune and he definitely would be high. <laughs> <laughs> they're like a bunch of hippies. And, and you know, like they're, they're all like they, they all look out for each other, but they're mm-hmm. super selfish <laughs> in a way. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not, they're just running away from all responsibility. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting, right? Like, because he, uh, Simba's like, that's not what I was taught about, like, wandering away, which he did anyway. Uh, but about not facing your responsibilities. And it's like, well, you need new lessons. And he's probably like, yeah, well, I can't return home. So, sure. And that transitions to the last point I want to make. This movie, I think, is special because it achieves an epic scale. With such a short runtime. This movie is like a swift 90 minutes long. Yeah. It is just as long as Thumbelina. Mm-hmm. Almost exactly to the minute. 
but somehow this movie presents like it, fe- it feels like 30 years of, of time yeah. or something like it's like it is grand journey it feels like a lord of the rings movie mm-hmm. and, and it's just its scale and presentation and its pacing and i was like how does it do that what is what is special about this movie where this movie feels like just a full experience right mm-hmm. this epic experience where movies of similar length don't yeah and i identified a few things right um one is it's just it's pacing, right? Like I mentioned, the movie allows itself to take some, like, take some, to slow down, take a breath, just present, like, you know, images of, of the world, you know, like nature shots, mm-hmm. right? Weather changing, just like a quiet view of the savannah, of the pride lands, you know, in, in times where, where right, things right, change, right? right. right? Um, the the Akuna Matata sequence is beautiful because it shows you like Simba growing up to an adult. Yeah. Right? And it shows that whole, like, you know, that, that classic... transition into like weird furry puberty to manhood. Right. It's like them walking along the log and it's like fades into different sequences of, right. of their, of Simba's life really, you know, of his mm-hmm. maturation. And I'm sitting there like, that's one of the reasons why this movie feels as long as it does like, you know, like a full movie because like you feel like you see a lifetime of growth in this character. Yeah. Um and the pacing allows you to like experience the, that with him, you know? You, you don't feel rushed. The movie it never feels like it's rushing anywhere. Yeah. It, no, it, it doesn't. It takes its time and all of the all of the um transitions in time are done appropriately. Mm-hmm. And like I don't know, it's just like masterfully done in terms of storytelling where um it knows when to stop a scene, you know, it knows when to take its time and it knows when to like move the story along to the next point in Simba's life, really. Yeah. Um, another thing that I feel like this movie does uh, to achieve that that epic scale is its um, inspirations, like the stories that it's drawing from. Like what? The filmmakers have said that the story of the Lion King was inspired by the lives of jo- Joseph from the Bible, okay. Moses from the Bible. And William Shakespeare's Hamlet. I mean, I knew the Hamlet thing, but the other two. So Hamlet, I think in terms of the like um, the royalty plot, right? Um, The uncle usurping the throne. And and I feel like when you crib from Shakespeare, you're going to bring a little bit of that epicness with you. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, it feels very like everything feels weighty. Like they're like the stakes are high. Yeah. Shakespeare. So, you know, with Scar and his you know, quest for the throne. It feels very, uh, it's Shakespearean on purpose. Yeah. And it just, it just feels very the delivery of his lines are like that. Yeah. So that's, that achieves that. But then with, with Moses and, and Joseph, right. These are characters that leave their, their home, right. Either, uh, either they're, you know, they're, they're, they choose to, choose or, to or not <laughs> sold into slavery. Sold into slavery. <laughs> um, My family. Right. But it's about characters that leave their home, go to a foreign land, experience something or grow in some way or, or find new meaning in life and then return back. Right. So I feel like in those two stories, I'm thinking like, obviously like uh, you can think of the, the Prince of Egypt movie, right. Where Moses leaves Egypt, goes off into the desert and has, you know, has his life out there, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a shepherd and then talks to God and then comes back. Like it feels like a different person has returned. Mm-hmm. Right. I feel like that's why the movie feels like as epic as it does because you see Simba like leave home, go and start a new life somewhere and right. then 
slowly relearn what his place is in life. Yeah. He, he talks to God, so to speak, and yeah. then returns back. And by, by the time he returns, you feel like you've gone on this long emotional journey. Yeah. With him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to play the clip of him talking to God. <laughs> <laughs> to dad. This is a long clip, by the way. I apologize. Simba, you have forgotten me. No. How could I? You have forgotten who you are and so forgotten me. Look inside yourself, Simba. You are more than what you have become. You must take your place in the circle of life. How can I go back? I'm not who I used to be. Remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. Remember who you are. No, please, don't leave me. Father. It's like that's some biblical scale right there. Yeah. It's like you see you see this giant cloud lion emerge from the sky. <laughs> yep. Like that's definitely coming to Jesus moment. <laughs> and going back to the animation, um, like in terms of like film storytelling, like the the language of film, right? Um, apparently, the filmmakers of The Lion King sought out um, films like Lawrence of Arabia, mm -hmm. the films of John Ford. Um, and painters, uh, sorry, and uh, the works of painters like Charles Marion Russell, Frederick Remington, and Maxwell Parrish. So they're cribbing from a bunch of different film and art sources mm -hmm. in order to give the even the look of the film that grand, yeah, epic look and 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 scale, right? Like Lawrence of Arabia is like. When you talk about, like, film epics, that's one of them. Like, right. it's the most epic of epic films, <laughs> you know? We haven't seen it. <laughs> so, have you seen it? I haven't. I haven't seen it. But We, I've could, se have, we could have seen it on our... Um... We could have saw it in the freaking, like, throwback theater. <laughs> yeah. We could have, but we didn't. But it's, like, four hours long. Um, and so, yeah, it's just in terms of, like, using the full... Like, all of the tools at your disposal in terms of filmmaking, they went and did that. And that goes back to the, the opening with all of the film techniques, and then... Just like presenting the, the the images on screen in such like a big way, like they pull out a lot, right? Yeah, you just see the world as this just immense landscape a yeah. lot. Yeah, they they definitely want to show how macro this story is, right? And so like I don't know, man. Like it, it's there's something to say. It's like they they push in on the characters a lot. You get a lot of character moments, but they also pull back. And just show the world mm -hmm. as well. And I was like, That's, it's so good. It's so freaking good. My, one of my favorite sequences in the whole movie is when Simba finally learns responsibility. And he learns, like, you can either run from the past. Yeah, I, I, have, I have this clip. This, this is Simba finally learning his lesson. Right. I know what I have to do, but going back means I'll have to face my past. I've been running from it for so long. Ow! Jeez, what was that for? It doesn't matter. It's in the past. <laughs> yeah, but it still hurts. Oh, yes, the past can hurt. But the way I see it, you can either run from it or learn from it. Ah, you see? So what are you going to do? I was, 
Simba learns his lesson, and then he runs back to Pride Rock, right? And you get this amazing sequence. Like, I, I played this video at my wedding <laughs> of Simba running home through the desert. It, it seems like Moses returning to Egypt after talking to God, right? Right, you right, know, right. Ready to go lay some plagues down. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, and it's just, like, him running, and, like, they they show the immense... They show the immense view of the desert, right? And you see a little Simba running from the left mm-hmm. to, to right, you know. Um, but also they show in in um, slightly transparent, like just an up-close view of Simba running. Like you see his right. paws like running. And it's, I don't know, man. It's just something about it. It's just so dang cool. It is. It's very cool. It shows the like, again, right? That macro of like, this is all the distance he's traver- traversing, but then also in the micro, but he's doing it on his own power. Yeah. It's very, it's very powerful. And then you have amazing music and stuff like that. So yeah. That's, that's, that's what I wanted to really praise about this movie is the fact that it achieves such a grand, big scale in just 90 minutes. Yeah. Same length as any of these other Disney movies. Shorter length than this podcast is probably going to be. Yeah. <laughs> and I bet you we didn't even achieve the epic scale of The Lion King. But I think that's all we got to talk about The Lion King. I, I, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's okay. You don't have to. I, I think you definitely should. Well, it's whatever. Do we have any, uh, what, 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 what happened? Legacy? Uh, I have so yeah. I, I have a lot of legacy, a lot of reception. I figure. So let's do it. With an initial worldwide gross of $763 million, The Lion King finished its theatrical run as the highest grossing film of 1994. And right under, hi- right behind Thumbelina. No. And the highest grossing animated film ever at the time of its relief. It held that title until 2010's Toy Story 3. Oh, right. Over 15 years, it was the highest grossing animated film of all time. Dang. Early internet review site realreviews.net said, With each new animated release, Disney seems to be expanding its already broad horizons a little more. The Lion King is the most mature in more than one sense of these films, and there clearly has been a consensus effort to release... All right, to please adults as much as children. Happily, for those of us who generally stay away from cartoons, they have succeeded. Couldn't agree more. Agreed. Um, however, some reviews didn't think it was as good as earlier Renaissance film. The Washington Post said, Shakespearean in tone, epic in scope. It seems more appropriate for grown-ups than for kids. If truth be told, even for adults, it's downright strange. Is it? It was to this guy. Um, what was strange about it, guy? I don't know. The Lion King was nominated for four Golden Globes, winning Best Original Score, Best Original Song for Can You Feel the Love Tonight, and Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. It took the big one. That is that is the big one. The big one, yeah. I was like, comedy? <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't win for drama. That's fair. I mean, it could have. Dead Dads. It was likewise nominated for four Academy Awards, winning Best Original Score and Best Original Song for Can You Feel the Love Tonight. The other two nominations were for other original songs. <laughs> wow. Can You Feel the Love Tonight also won the Grammy Award for Best Male Vocal Performance. Okay, I can get behind that. Yeah. Despite its accolades, The Lion King was not without its controversies, though. After the film's release, 488 Japanese cartoonists and animators led by manga artist Machiko Satonaka uh, signed a petition accusing Disney of plagiarism over... Osamu Tezuka's 1960s Japanese anime television series, Kimba the White Lion, Lion. Yeah. and demanding that they give due credit to Tezuka. So we've, we've, we watched, I think like one of the early episodes of Kimba the White Lion. 
for a movie night once. We also watched the movie. We watched like the, I think the 90s movie that was made after this. Okay. Yeah. We did watch one of the episodes. Yeah. And it's similar, but not that similar. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Like maybe in terms of like a little bit of the design of Kimba is in Simba, you know, mm-hmm. and the name. Yeah. I think that the, the name is the big thing. Yeah. If Simba had been named anything else. It would have been. But Simba means something specifically. His name was Kubo or whatever. I don't know. Wow. No, Simba is a, like, I think it mean, it doesn't mean lion. It mean, but like the word, the word itself is something in a different language. That, Got it. That's the reason. Or in African language. In any case, all involved in the production of the film have denied the accusations with director Robert Minkoff saying that whenever a story is set in Africa, it is, quote, not unusual to have characters like a baboon, a bird, or hyenas. So to him, it was just all coincidence. Takeyuki Matsutani, the president of Tezuka Productions, said in 1994 that, quote, quite a few staff of our company saw a preview of The Lion King discuss this subject and came to the conclusion that you cannot avoid having these similarities as long as you are, uh, as long as you use animals as characters and try to draw images out of them. Mm-hmm. So even they said it was coincidence. Yeah. The Lion King has spawned two direct-to-video sequels, 1998's The Lion King 2, Simba's Pride, and 2004's Lion King one and a half. I've seen them both. They're both fine. I don't. I don't know that I've seen one and a half, but I definitely seen uh, two. I remember Lion King one and a half was really funny. I laughed a lot as a kid. Mm. You know, in in 2004 I was like 12. I was almost a teenager, and it still made me laugh a lot. I remember <clears throat> singing songs from uh, Lion King too. Inubabi. That's not I, how the word goes. I do not even remember. A television spinoff called Timon and Pumbaa ran from 1995 to 1999, and I watched a bunch of it. <laughs> a series of spinoff educational shorts called Find Out Why ran on Disney's One Saturday Morning in 2000. Timon and Pumbaa would, like, explain how things worked, like static electricity. Ah, so Pumbaa would explain it right, and then Timon would say some stupid. Yes. <laughs> um, Timon and Pumbaa also hosted a series of educational shorts called Wild about safety for Disney parks from 2008 to 2013. Timon and Pumbaa really were the breakout stars. They were. I'm sure there's still parking lots named after them to this day. Right. Um, A second television spinoff called The Lion Guard. I knew you were going to say The Lion Guard. Ran from 2016 to 2019 with its 2015 pilot serving as a TV movie. Mm -hmm. I, I have not seen The Lion Guard. I remember we were walking through the Disney store once. And we just see all these toys for the Lion Guard, and we're like, what is that? Not me. I knew what that was. I have friends with kids. Okay, well. Is it good? I don't know. Oh, I mean, you I be didn't the judge. watch it. Oh, yeah. You judge. The Lion Guard also spawned a short-form series called It's Unbungabelievable, okay. which aired on Disney Junior from t- in 2016. Okay. I don't know what that is. Is me Bunga not. a character? You tell me. I have no clue. A Broadway musical based on Lion King debuted in 1997. Yeah. The show won six Tonys and best, including Best Musical. I always wanted to see that. I went. As a kid. We went in, we went in Hollywood. I just like you. I think I, I was too young to appreciate it. Like, I go back now and I, I look back and I was like, that was pretty cool. I, I would have enjoyed it more Take as an adult. Take your wife to this play. <laughs> when, when, when it's safe to do so, maybe we will. No. Take me now. <laughs> no. I'm not going to tell the story that I caught COVID at the Lion King show. We'll wear masks. <laughs> uh, the Lion King has also been adapted into various live shows at Disney parks, including a parade called the Lion King Celebration, a life-size puppet show called The Legend of the Lion King, which looked amazing. 
I was okay. like, these puppets are huge. Just like big old like plush Simba puppets. We should have a plush Simba prophet instead of that that couch. And an African dance-based production called The Lion King, Rhythms of the Pride Lands. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, in 1995, Disney released a sequel to the soundtrack of the first film, which was also titled Rhythm of the Pride Lands. Nice. Circle of Life and Environmental Fable, a 17 or 70 millimeter documentary about environmentalism hosted by Simba, Timon, and Pumbaa debuted at Epcot in 1995. Basically, it was like a repurposed documentary that they just added. They just like- added the cartoon characters to? Yes. Oh, okay. I mean, if it gets the kids to like learn about how to protect the earth. <laughs> there have been a handful of Lion King video games, most notably Virgin Interactive's 19... 19- 1994 multi-platform release, which I played a lot of on the Super Nintendo. Mega Magidus. Super <laughs> Nintendo Nega I'm tired. What is it Super called? Nintendo Sega Genesis. That's the one. That's the one. I'm pretty sure it was on Sega Genesis as well. The game was really good. <laughs> it was like a pretty good movie game. Um, the Pride Lands was also featured as a level in Kingdom Hearts 2. Ah! Where Sora and the gang turn into lions and run around. I never got that far into the Kingdom Hearts it's probably the best level, in my opinion. Yeah? Yeah. It's because you really like Lion King. I do. And you always wanted to run around the It's better than the, the Little Mermaid level where you sing. Is that the gameplay? Is that the fighting, yes. singing? It's a it's a rhythm mini game where you sing. That's Not a- even songs from the movie, like bad songs that they wrote <laughs> for the game. Also, other licensed Lion King products include to- dolls, toys, storybooks, and other such nonsense. And other such nonsense. There's, there's a Lion King product for every every industry. Yeah, that's fair. And in 2019, a photorealistic CGI remake of The Lion King starring Donald Glover and Beyonce was released. And it was also only 90 minutes and told the sweeping scale. I'm pretty sure it's way longer. It's, I don't know. It's 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 two and a half hours. Why is it? Why why is it's it? It's closer to three. So people like to say, oh, it's a live action remake. It's not live action. It's all done in a computer. It's just done photorealistically. They were like. Can we make The Lion King but make it look real? Like, yeah, you could. You did do that. Is it better? Probably not. You haven't seen it. I've seen clips of it. You Those animals don't emote. You haven't seen it. How am I supposed to know if Simba's sad? You haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> How do I know which one's Simba and which one's Mufasa? Okay, that's just racist. Whoa. Um, by the way, that remake is now the highest grossing animated film ever made. Oh, wow. Currently. Okay. Yep. Um, this film spawned a brand new Beyonce song called Spirit, a Beyonce curated soundtrack album called The Gift, and a Beyonce produced visual album called Black is King. Okay. Like, I'm pretty sure they only got Beyonce involved so that she could, like, create this multimedia, like, event around mm-hmm. the Lion King. Oh. It's like, you bring in Beyonce to play Nala badly. Did you? You can't say that if you I've read seen the it. reviews. Everyone says she did a terrible job. Okay. Those are people who say it. You don't have an opinion if you have not seen it. Either way, she contributed a lot to the the other aspects of movie making outside right. of the movie itself. Mm. And a follow-up film is currently in development. So is it going to be Simba's Pride? I don't know. That'll be fun. Kiki Palmer as a, as a Kiara. <laughs> Friggin' uh, Zendaya as... <laughs> uh, as what? As, as uh, their daughter. Kiara. <laughs> Kiara, yeah. That is The Lion King. Would you recommend it? I mean, it's fine. If you have time on your hands, you can totally watch it. Yes. Well, seek this movie out if you haven't seen it. If you have seen it, if you have seen it but haven't seen it in a long time, seek it out anyway. <laughs> What's up next? We got oh, runners up? Uh, 
Well, yeah, let's go to runners up because we know who the winner is. I'm the winner. There's there's no there's no argument here. Are you selling me? Are you going to try and tell me that Thumbelina win? I'm not going to try to tell you. I would just tell you. But since we already know that Thumbelina no, wins. No, 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 no. Hold gonna... on. Hold on. <laughs> You're going to make us half this star this week. Are you indignant right now? Yes. Are you doing that to me? Uh, I'll throw you a bone. I'll let you believe that this is the one that you won. Sure. Yeah, you can. Uh, the sure. Lion King is better than Thumbelina on almost every level. <laughs> <laughs> on every level I can't even think of a level where it's any better are you sad? no are you upset? no I'm I'm, I'm, I'm convinced I'm correct <laughs> Lion King is a better movie there you go Lion King Rod wins 1994 <laughs> <coughs> to all the kids out there who stopped listening stopped whatever they were doing to listen to really see if I was gonna half a star on this one um, okay, but now that we have uh, decided who the, real, the true winner is, um, let's talk about runners up. Let's do it. Okay, so if we were not watching The Lion King for you, we would have been watching Pulp Fiction. That's good. That's one of those things. Like it'll never surpass The Lion King, mm-hmm. only because you watch it so much. Yeah, like the Pulp Fiction is. It's getting up there. Like yeah, you know, it's like it. I, I watched Pulp Fiction a lot in like college and you know out of college and stuff like that, but. Yeah, I've never made it through uh, Pulp you, Fiction. We've watched Pulp Fiction before and you've fallen asleep every, every time. time. Every time. I'm like, ah, oh, it's not over yet? Oh, it's fine. What? It, what, it, what is What is Bruce Willis? T- <laughs> like, <sighs> what? <I'm>, Credits. <laughs> I'm like, the, the wide spectrum of things that I enjoy. The Lion King and Pulp Fiction. <laughs> right? Well, we also might have, and which I'm, I'm really glad because I would have been on strike because I hate this movie. Forrest Gump. I watched Forrest Gump so much in like high school. Like it, it was on like, um, it would play on like the movie, like the free movie channel on, ca- on, on like satellite cable or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? So it was like when I got home from school, I just like put it on in the background yeah. as I did my homework. So it's like I, I know like Forrest Gump like front to back just because it's like I would always just have it on in the background while I did my homework, and then my mom had the DVD so I'd listen to the commentaries. Yeah, I think I've only watched that movie through once, and I've like been in rooms where it was on, but I would never choose to watch that movie ever. I I I, I like it. I still like it. Like I, I know it's a flawed movie. Like it's not it's not the best movie ever made or anything, but it's like no, I enjoy it. I don't. I can't even say if it's flawed or not. Like it's like I just remember watching. It's like I didn't enjoy that. Just like as a kid who doesn't know oh, like, it's what not a for movie kids. It's not for yeah. kids. So how dare you? I was a kid when I watched it. I think I don't know or kid enough. Whatever. For me, my, my runner up would have been uh, Little Buddha, a movie that I'm sure that you haven't heard Never of. Never heard of it. It's, it's a it's it's a movie. I sounds racist. <laughs> mm, it's like the story of. A mon- like not Buddha, but like a, a a monk. It tells the tale of Siddhartha while also um, talking about a like um um I think a monk that um died but was reincarnated, and they were trying to find where he he was reincarnated, and he was reincarnated, and his soul was split into three pieces, and it was into three different kids, oh. and it was following them, and they're trying to. It's a it's a movie um, that I watched. Like three times, okay. As a young person, another one. I have a lot of runners up this year. Page Master. Everyone loves Page Master. I, I remember like that was one of the, that was one of the movies that I watched in 
preschool. Like mm-hmm. you come to preschool and like play it on VHS tape. Yeah, because it's mostly cartoon. Mostly and, cartoon. And um, Macaulay Culks. Good old Mac. Good old Max. Uh, Camp Nowhere, which I love. We're going to do a movie night one day of I've like, seen, camps. I've seen that. You have? Like, I, It's the one with Christopher Lloyd? He is in that one, yes. Yeah, like I, I, I remember. I, I know I've seen it. I don't remember anything. Yeah, about so it. we're there... gonna, we're gonna watch Camp Nowhere and Heavyweights, right? Or whatever. we should watch that. Yeah, yeah. So we just do a, a nice little movie night between us. Do they do they have like a do they have like a, an Olympic Games at the end of that movie? Or that's Heavyweights. Heavy, yeah, it must yeah. Be heavy I've never even I've never heard of Heavyweights before I met you. So, but I enjoy Camp Nowhere except for the weird pervy kids. <laughs> um, and then another movie, which I'm not sure if this is like, I remember watching it on Disney Channel, but I don't think it's like one of those like t- straight to TV movies. It's just, it's called Mommy Market. <laughs> Never heard um, of it. It's, uh, it's Mommy Market slash Rent a, a Mom or something like that. And uh, it's it's a really interesting, so basically it's about a, um, a single mom of three kids and it's hard to be a single mom of three kids. Like, I think the oldest was probably like 13, 14, 15. And the youngest was like six, seven, eight, like around those things. Like gee, in her, like her husband had like died and she was just trying her best, but she was not doing it like the way her kids wanted. And so they're like, we wish we had a different mom. And so they wake up one morning and their mom's gone. And they have, each have a coin and they can like pick a new mom out at the mommy market. Oh. And they're like, this is the mom that I want. And it's the same actress, but she's playing different. Like, I want a mom who's fun, who does this or and bring them in. And it's great at first, but then it's not great. And so you return the mom to the mar- mommy market. That's, a, that's some high concept stuff right there. It's so good. We should watch that too. Like, it's so good. I, I can't. I remember the last time I watched it was I was a kid. Um, so I can't remember if it if, if it real stand up, but I really loved it. Anyway, so those were my runners up. That's that. Yeah. And um, because it is 10.30 p.m. and we started recording this at 7 p.m., I would like us to just go straight into plugs. Hey, plugs. All right. So if you'd like the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Media Mate Show and follow us on Instagram at Media Mate Show. We like to share artwork and posts and we share videos and polls and a lot of fun stuff. Yeah. Um, if you like my stuff, you can follow me personally on Twitter at Rod the Master and um, – a few other things that I do, I write for a website about video games called ZeldaDungeon.net where we talk about the Legend of Zelda video game series. So if you like Zelda, check that out. And I host a wrestling YouTube show called Keep Kayfabe. That's K-A-Y-F-A-B-E. We look at the careers and characters of our favorite wrestlers. Check that out if you care. And if you care to see what uh, creative endeavors I have, I have a YouTube called Taming Tales on YouTube where I uh, tell stories that I make up to video. That's it. That's what I do. And sometimes I vlog. So if you want to see that, come and see that. Yeah. So, hey, thank you for listening. Um, if, you, if you haven't already, subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. Leave us a review and tell a friend. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. Helps us out. Don't just tell a friend. Pick your favorite episode. Sit with a friend. Have, like, coffee and drinks and something and have a listening party. Yeah. Do it. And then, like, tweet at us if you're actually going to have a listening party. That sounds so cool. Yeah. So, thanks again. And as we said, we're going to close out this episode with Hakuna Matata. Yeah. It's a wonderful phrase. It is. You know what else is wonderful? Thumbelina, which is the movie that actually won this year. Bye, guys. (laughs) Thumbelina Matata. (laughs) (laughs) Night, kids. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's a problem-free.
Matata. Hakuna Matata. Ha ha ha!